Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are broadcasting to you with, I believe, our 91st episode. We have training camp well underway with the Arizona Cardinals. We're just about three weeks from this Thursday. Uh, I should say three weeks from the season. I believe it's two weeks from this Thursday before the first NFL game of the year kicks off between the Kansas City Chiefs and the uh, Houston Texans. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy Seven. We're here to cover the Arizona Cardinals, uh, discuss everything that's going on with the team as much as we can. As it's a bit of a weird year with the pandemic, not much news getting out. I'm joined as always by my co-host, the venerable John Venerable, and we've got Walter Mitchell from Revenge of the Birds on our podcast as well. Uh, John, let's start with you, and then we can kind of catch up and see how Walter's been doing. What's new with you? And it feels like football. It's still, for whatever reason, far away, but it's closing in fast. I feel like it's it's closing in faster. Well, first of all, hello. Welcome, everybody. It's crazy. We've done 91 of these. Uh, so, yeah, back to my original point. I, it's nuts to me. I, I think generally I get anxious, you know, about the second preseason game. I'm like, let's just go. Come on. Let's get it. Let's get it going. Let's start the season. And then you think about now we're less than three weeks away from the start of the season, uh, which, you know, after everything we've been through, you would think this is taking longer and maybe it's taking longer for some folks. But to me, the fact that we are without a preseason, we're getting a lot of information from camp and the Cardinals have been incredibly active, both from free agency. And we'll talk about that, bringing in some new additions and just the content that we've seen. Um, it's it's been nice, um, but I feel like it's sneaking up on us this year. Like we're going to turn around. I don't know if it's because we have so many other, I don't want to call them distractions, but priorities, things that are going outside of football that it's just, I feel like to me, it could be different from others, but for me, it feels like this this season is coming quicker than, than most. Usually it feels like I cannot get through four preseason games to save my life, and I'm like, just start the season already. Now it feels like, oh, man, it's, it's kind of like an added benefit. We're going to get NFL football after everything we've been through. Absolutely right, John. Uh, Walter, let's check in with you. You were the guy who, when 
let's just say viral over the past uh, week and the, the DeAndre Hopkins news. Uh, definitely an interesting experience. And what I thought was most interesting was that even though in the comments or on Twitter there was people who were trying to seem like to slam the approach, I think that there was a lot of justification for uh, the article you wrote discussing if DeAndre Hopkins was making a holdout ploy. Uh, Pro Football Talk, at least, had a follow-up article where they mentioned it was a valid point, and uh, Arizona Sports' John Gambadora as well, even they made that their leading story uh, for one of the days when they, uh, for their Sports Talk news station out here. Uh, what was that experience like for you? And talk a bit about some of uh, where you came up with for that idea and that take, and what else has been going on in your life recently, too? Well, thank you uh, for having me on today. I'm really excited. I uh, love talking Cardinals football with both of you. Um, I know this probably could go for four hours. We're going to try to make it an hour, a little over than that, I'm sure. But um, it's when we get three avid Cardinal fans like ourselves, I'm sure it's going to be hard to put the phone down. But um, first of all, I'd really like to thank you and Johnny for your support on your podcast. Um, and I loved what Johnny said about, you know, we're going to ask tough questions and, you know, we're not affiliated with the Cardinals, you know, we're not employed by them. So we're in a position to maybe ask some questions that, you know, um, Cardinal employees or those affiliated with the team probably can't ask. And I don't think it hurts to ask questions and particularly if, you know, there's some logic to them. And I, I just was trying to connect some dots. I mean, we know that, you know, in Houston, the main reason why DeAndre Hopkins was traded was he wanted his contract ripped up after two years of a five-year $81 million deal. So, um, you know, if he's not at practice for three straight days, it's kind of makes you wonder what's going on. And I thought I'd ask the question and, it went way, way beyond my wildest dreams. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, then, then it got as far as it did. And I thought it was great. I thought it was, you know, and I thought it was so cool of, of Nuke to chime in and set the record straight. I mean, that really was a game changer and answered the question and um, directly got us clarity in an age where clarity is <laughs> something we can count on from NFL uh, coaches or GMs or, you know, there's especially this time of year where everyone's playing their cards close to the vest, pun intended. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a fun experience. I learned a lot. There was a backlash. I'm not going to lie. It, some of it hurts. Um, but uh, over the years, I've developed a bit of a skin, and you have to have it. And, um it's just too bad it really ticked off some Cardinal fans. And um, I think we'll just make one statement and turn it back to you guys. But I think we need to ask tougher questions, you know, as Cardinal fans. Um, you know, I think that, you know, that we tend to maybe um, put our star players on more of a pedestal than we need to. I mean, all of us are works in progress, except Justin Bethel. Um, and, you know, we need, we really need to ask some of these guys some questions, the tough questions, and, and see what shakes, shakes out. Um, and, uh, you know, whenever we're curious, 
I mean, not stupid questions and not out of left field questions, but um, I had a fun time today asking Brett, Brett Coleman a whole bunch of questions and um, he had some amazing answers, which we'll try to get to some of them later, but um, it was good. And um, I thank you again for your support. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think John and I have both agreed uh, a lot. John, you can probably talk a bit more, but we felt that the Arizona sports media in particular uh, can be one of the more softer media uh, coverage as far as the team goes, not just from obviously the team coverage, but just the local coverage as well. I, I know, John, you've been on that for it seems like years that we've been on this podcast, but how they need to just be a lot tougher. And with a coach like Cliff Kingsbury, who's not going to be as upfront or open, uh, it's definitely something that I feel like is needed to have with a guy like Hopkins going into the season with no guaranteed money on his deal that's left, and we're two and a half weeks out from the start of the season. Yeah, absolutely, Blake. Go ahead, Walter. No, I, I just I totally agree with, with Blake's sentiment there with regard to, you know, I put out a tweet right after, and Walter, Walter alluded to it, right after the article kind of blew up, and it's just, if you want that kind of content for your your team, this is a team that Walter knows this, Blake knows this, they have the longest championship drought in all of professional sports. After the Cubs won the World Series, the football Cardinals, not the Arizona Cardinals, but just the football Cardinal franchise, has the longest professional drought without a championship in major sports. And you combine that with, like Blake mentioned, a, a media that has historically, I think it's improving, but has historically been lackadaisical, kind of like the team, just going through the motions. And Walter said it perfectly. We do need to hold the team, the executives, the coaches accountable. Everything is on the table now. We know how much everybody makes. We know everybody's position with the team. We watch them day, Sunday to Sunday. We see who plays up to, to their capabilities and we see who doesn't play. And it's evident when changes need to be made. And so back to you know, what Walter's original point was with Hopkins, it's just like, hey, he did want a new, he does want a new deal. He wants more money annually. And the Cardinals traded a second round pick and you know a starting running back with the intent that he's going to be wrong long-term. And so he's he's got the leverage here. But I, I think just in general, you know, it speaks to the, the notion that, okay, well, we can't be critical of this team because we cover it and we love the team, right? I think that's the difference between, if you look at, like, New York media or just East Coast media in general has this notion of just we're going to cut throat and just state the facts. But with regard to... You know, the three of us, we, we follow this team, we love this team, that's why we put this content out, but we also understand that if if we're just going to put out puff pieces consistently, that's not doing anybody any benefit. You can get that from 20-plus sites talking about how X player has improved and you're in the best shape of your life and this team's on the rise and don't worry about, you know, our record last year. But me as a fan, and I can I can relate to Walter because my father is a longtime Cardinal fan, and they've been burdened by just consistent ineptitude in the front office, and you know former presidents. My Michael Bidwell's doing a heck of a job, but Bill Bidwell was not a good owner, and so I think it just comes down to the fact that do you hold your team accountable? Because I think the fans and the media in say Philadelphia, in New York, in Dallas. Those teams have sense of urgencies because they're held accountable, and we have to get Arizona to that point, and we're, and we're not there yet, clearly, because 
Walter wrote a piece that probably would have been accepted widely in one of those big markets, but because Arizona is a little brother to so many organizations, it blew up like it did. I totally agree, John. Uh, for those who are, before I get you to you, Walter, before any of those who are either confused or not sure of what happened, uh, long story short, Walter wrote an article on Revenge of the Birds with that question. The reason why it blew up was the Texans, uh, national, uh, really well-known national guy, at least for that, who covers the Texans, John McClain, retweeted the article, just the article as it was, and DeAndre Hopkins, at least, was the one then who answered in that post. So uh, the fact that McClain or someone found that article, at least, was able to retweet it and that Hopkins responded, uh, that's part of what we're talking about here. And uh, Walter, I think that we can kind of ask you what at least your thoughts far on some of just the way the media coverage is and how that's utilized and uh, some of the work then that you do in asking those questions. Well, I think the reason why the, the Cardinals um, couldn't sustain the momentum, momentum that um, Bruce Arians started when he got here was cronyism. It just riddled the team. Decisions were made, you know, um, by putting cronies first when some of those cronies weren't either qualified or weren't doing a good job. And we were told they were brilliant anyway. And I think that, you know, Brett Coleman and I talked about this today a little bit, was that the players like Honey Badger and Pat P looked at that and just, you know, lost cred. I mean, and, and Coleman was saying today, which I thought was brilliant, was like when, when those guys are, you know, are, are locked in, when they think they have a reason to, to um, buy for a championship, you know, they can be elite. But if they realize that, you know, they're being surrounded by mediocrity and they don't feel like they have a chance to win because of it, you know, that's what you're going to get. And um, I think the Arizona media is the same way. A lot of those guys love, you know, they get too emotionally attached to the superstars and the, um, you know, the coaches. I mean, B.A. could do no wrong with these guys. And I, I you know, I mean, I, B.A. at the beginning I was amazing, but B.A. at the end was a wreck. And, um, I mean, good for him now. I hope he does well. But, you know, this was, you know, a, we watched a really good Cardinals team just sort of disappear in front of our eyes. Um, and I think at the heart of it was, you know, decisions that were made, not in the best interest of winning, but in, um, you know, taking care of your friends, you know. So, and just one quick thing about the Hopkins thing, just all I want to say left about that is the Cardinals should do the deal and should, they should have done it before this. It makes them look weak. I mean, they traded for the guy. Everybody in the whole country knows that he was traded because he wants a new contract. You look at his figures and he's right. He's not getting paid his commensurate value in the NFL. I mean, the way he went about it was wrong. I mean, you know, you don't rip up a contract after two years and saddle your team. That, that I really think uh, is, can be questioned. But you can't question the monetary value of what he's worth. Brett Coleman thinks he's the number one receiver in the league because nobody can cover him. I think he's right up there in the top three. I think you guys probably agree with that. So just pay the guy and get it done. And let's not have this hanging over, you know. This is where the Cardinals, in my opinion, 
whenever they get really good momentum going for themselves, they do something like this. They stall out. Like with Kurt Warner. I mean, how that ever happened, you guy takes us to our lone Super Bowl, and then you get in a contact contract battle with him over wanting to pay him eight million dollars or something ridiculous as it was at the time. And I mean, it just took the the wind out of the sails of you know, the air out of the ball. And, you know, I mean, we got momentum. I mean, talk when, when you guys get a chance to talk to Brett Coleman, he's a believer. He's he's in. He, and I, I think, you know, I know I'm being called Kool-Aid. I'm in. I'm really excited. I think we got something really special going on here. But all this momentum can be stifled at any minute. And part of it is this just sort of passive aggressive. I mean, make this great aggressive move to, you know, acquire a, an elite player like Hopkins. And then you have him twisting in the wind for three months. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't care about the pandemic because it's already been established next year. The floor of the, of the um, salary cap is one, $174 million. They can get a, a deal done now with no sweat and, and no, uh, no real re- repercussions towards the future. So I don't know if you guys agree with that, but that's, that's really all I have to say about Hopkins. I wish they had done it already. And I pay the guy, and let's let's get moving on and getting excited about this season. Yeah, definitely agree, Walter. I I think my guess is that it might just be one of those cases similar to David Johnson's contract situation, where it's like the day before the season starts, he got his new deal in 2018. I could see that being the case for the Cardinals. They just bring the agent together and get a deal done. I don't think that the deal. The only reason, at least from what I've heard, that the deal is being held up at all is that it's mostly being held up from Bidwell's end, and it's not necessarily that he's cheap. Like They know that they're going to be paying him, but it's more of just trying to be able to uh, haggle over a little bit left or right, not because of Hopkins of any caliber, but more just because of the pandemic and the effect on the salary cap. Uh, Michael just does not want to enter into any type of salary cap hell. Steve Keim doesn't want to enter into salary cap hell. And if they don't make the playoffs this year with the Cardinals and they want to go all in with, uh, you know, acquire a stud or two for next year via the draft or via free agency. Uh, so that part I can understand. I don't have any doubt that there's going to be a any type of issue getting a deal done. But like you said, Walter, it is kind of interesting, at least, at the Cardinals that has taken so long. I think that uh, any time that they do wrap up or get any sort of long-term extension done, I think that it'll be more of the sigh of relief for a lot of Cardinals fans. And it will be then that idea that Hopkins is going to be in Arizona catching passes from Kyler Murray for the foreseeable future. Uh, Let's go ahead and move to some of the recent news that we've had that's come up. The biggest, obviously, being uh, the Cardinals had Robert Alford got injured. They go out and they sign several corners, including B.W. Webb and Ken Crawley, who are both veterans, but neither of them were really expected to be a starting role. Uh, Cardinals ended up coming to terms over the weekend with former Cincinnati Bengals corner Drake Kirkpatrick. He was uh, originally drafted in the first round out of Alabama, Uh, started for the Bengals for a number of years, was only in six games last year before he had a knee injury. Uh, He's the guy who at least has not only just the size and experience, but is also the caliber of player that will be able to handle the outside role. You can, you know, give him guys in one-on-one coverage. Uh, Pro Football Focus had him as their fourth best corner and not getting beat deep. So he's at least able to sustain technique and be able to play catch-up. He's not going to get burned like we saw Brandon Williams get in the 2016 opener where he got torched several times deep. 
I think that this is at least a good move, especially for the price when you're considering that he's just making the veteran minimum this year. This, uh, John, you even alluded to it. I'll let you have a say on this in a second. But you thought it was very similar to the classic time time deal, such as with the Cromartie deals of the past or the Marcus Cooper trade, that it felt much more of like a 2015 time versus, uh, you know, one of the older ones. I think this is even potentially an upgrade because you and I didn't have as much confidence in Alford to begin with. Yeah, nobody has seen Robert Alford play football since December of 2018. Um, and we've, we've talked about it um, continually. He'll never play it down for this team unless he comes back with a largely reduced salary in, in 2021. But let's let's focus on Kirkpatrick. I, I do think this falls into the same kind of category of maybe a John Abraham of the past, a Dwight Freeney. You said Marcus Cooper, who the Cardinals traded for. He had a really nice season as the team's third corner a few years back. This is the kind of move that Kime really makes his living on. You think about adding a player that's going to come in immediately, play opposite Patrick Peterson. They said he's already in really good shape. Coming in at the veteran minimum, not counting against your cap, that's a huge cue for Kime. And then you think about it. Okay, let's say he plays exceptionally well. You've got one of two options. You can bring him back with Patrick Peterson set to maybe move on at the age of 30, or you can say, okay, see you later. Do the same thing you did for Marcus Cooper and get a comp pick. Marcus Cooper went on to have um, a couple solid years with the Bears. They gave him a nice deal. Uh, Kirkpatrick could could absolutely parlay this into into another deal. He was stuck on an on and off, you know, average to below average team in, in Cincinnati. I think that he was likely from either the national media or the inner circles of the NFL undervalued because of it. Um, and so the Cardinals have an opportunity. It's ironic, Blake. I put this out on Twitter. So Cincinnati used the 17th overall pick on Kirkpatrick um, as part of the, the package they got from Oakland when they got Carson Palmer. And then Carson Palmer gets traded to Arizona for next to nothing, a sixth and a seventh. And now how, however many years later, Seven years later, Kirkpatrick's going to join Arizona, which is which is super ironic. It just shows you how fluid the league is. But I think the, the secondary, with Crawley and Webb as guys that you could play in a pinch, they've got experience, which is what you want. We're hearing you know nice things about that undrafted kid out of Arizona. P- Peterson says he looks good in the slot. I think the secondary is in a better position because it's put a sense of urgency on Kime to come in and make moves as the season begins. Because I think after Alford went down, and I, I, I come to think he was having a nice camp so far. Everybody said he looked really good, which is which is unfortunate for him. And we're not here to bang on him. But I think after he went down, Kime, probably parts of the coaching staff, looked at the roster and said, Outside of Peterson, and then cross your fingers on Byron Murphy as a slot corner, which, you know, I know you don't love Walter. I don't love that either. The secondary, the corner situation was not ideal. And I think they were ignorant in the spring, um, thinking that they were set. They didn't draft one like we've talked about previously. Didn't fall to them. I, I think they would have taken Jeff Okuda had he fall to them. Took Isaiah Simmons. No one's complaining there. Um, but I, this group, to me, needed a shot in the arm. And look at that. Over the course of like five days, they signed three corners, three capable corners. Say what you want about Crawley. He's got starting experience, was a starter opposite Marshawn Lattimore in New Orleans for a little while. B.W. Webb is, is not a great player. He's not somebody you want in your starting three or four rotation. But if he's there in case of emergency, you would rather have that with somebody who has experience at the NFL level than throwing out guys that have no business being out there. 
So, you know, again, it's going to be on Vance Joseph to utilize these guys to the best of their ability. But when you talk about somebody like Drake Kirkpatrick, a, a former pro bowler, to say, come in, you're a stud first rounder. You're like, you know, we've got the 33rd overall pick playing slot. We've got two first round corners on the outside. They, in my opinion, they've upgraded from Alford because it's, it's just been too long removed since he's played actual football uh whereas Kirkpatrick has played at a high level recently like you mentioned Blake he doesn't get beat deep he's physical at the line of scrimmage he's not going to embarrass himself and that's what the Cardinals were lacking last year especially when Peterson and Alford were out Walter uh, talk a bit about you went wrote an article recently about the three corners in that situation with Arizona what are some of your thoughts at least on Kirkpatrick and even with Murphy, because I, I've agreed with John, the difference is I'm fine with him becoming the slot corner depending on what the overall outcome is. If you're talking about a Mason Cole or a Bobby Massey type situation of forced into starting year one, take a little bit of a lesser role in year two that kind of is able to then develop some of that coverage skill and then potentially move to one of the outside slots or a starting role in year three, I think that's fine. Or if it's becoming maybe a top three slot corner in the NFL in a time when all these teams are essentially running 11 personnel or having, you know, multiple looks and tight ends and blitzes, I'm fine if that ends up being the outcome. I think the concern and fear is if Murphy isn't able to develop into the player the Cardinals saw as kind of a uh, solid cornerback who can make plays in the ball, get picks and lock guys down. Uh, that they evaluated him when they took him at the 33rd overall pick and had him as a top 10 player on their board. What are some of your thoughts there on uh, the corner spots for Arizona? Yeah, I have really high hopes for Byron Murphy. Um, Brett Coleman and I were talking about him today. We both loved the way he played boundary corner at Washington and really sort of mystified as to why he was so sort of um, two steps late last year and in many many cases i mean he gave up 10 tvs and and incurred nine penalties ouch um and in some cases he was right there to make a play but just somehow didn't find the ball and you know it's just it just looked out of sorts it was ironic that he looked worse after peterson came back um you know we would have thought that you know he might have picked it up with Peterson on the other side. Um, but um, feel really bad for Robert Alford. I mean, he obviously won over the coaches and the GM and everybody. I mean, you know, it would have been easy for the Cardinals to cut him and save the 4.5 million right off the bat. Um, and on the, you know, his, his, you know, further money down the road. And I was championing for that, even though I, I liked this Alfred signing to begin with because I thought he had a bad year, but but he's a good player and he could have come back. And let's just not forget, the guy runs four three, um, and that kind of speed could really help us opposite Peterson. But too bad. It's just you know feel bad for him. Um, but good for time for jumping on on this quickly and getting three guys in. My feeling on the three of them is Kirkpatrick. Um, Brett was saying this today. You know. He was basically the slot in, in Cincinnati. So, you know, um, he's got experience there. Um, he can play the boundary, although his tackling is uh, ugh, dreadful. Um, and that is a concern for me. You, you guys know, you've heard me too often say I like 
corners who can tackle. Um, but the good news is our linebackers are better and our safeties are ballers. So hopefully they can, you know, get there faster than the cornerbacks. Um, and, 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 you know, cause you just know teams are going to be planning on doing their normal fare of reverses, sweeps, swing passes, bubble screens, um, slip screens, um, anything to get to the perimeter where they think we're vulnerable. I think the Cardinals will do a better job containing this year too, um, with, with, uh, Reddick and Kennard on one side and, and Chandler Jones on, on his natural position. Uh, and, um, by the way, uh, one of the great points Brett Tolman made, made today uh, was that Chandler has the luxury of knowing that Buda Baker has his back now because he can take the inside move and lose contain on a certain pass rushes and know that Buda can fill for him pretty quickly because Buda can run the alley like few safeties can. I mean, he is outstanding at that. So, um, you know, I think Kirkpatrick gives us good versatility there. I think he can play either spot, um, and he'll be a starter or a key player for us if his knee holds out. Um, so that was a good signing. Um, I'm not as high on Webb and Crawley as perhaps others. Um, so, you know, I, and I am high. I, don't, I think we're sleeping on Chris Jones. I mean, he popped out on tape for Brett Coleman, and uh, – you know, I, I was wondering the same thing last year. He, Brett said he was like the only corner who was in consistent coverage. And, of course, you know, that's looking at it from the coaches' tapes. And um, and he said he couldn't believe that they cut Jones and then brought him back and just wasted him on the practice squad. Um, so, I mean, and Jones did have the best, lowest completion rate of any corner on the Cardinals last year at 53%. He's a physical guy, too. He'll stick people. So I, I have him making the team. I think he will. Um, I'm not high on Kevin Peterson yet. I thought he'd be much better last year. He made tons of mistakes. Um, maybe he's doing better. I heard he was doing okay in, in, in practice, but, but I'm hearing now, I think you guys are hearing it too, that Chase Whitaker, the undrafted free agent from Arizona is turning heads in the slot. Um, I think he's made for that role athletically. Um, and could be a real find. And so today I predicted he would, he would be the, the fifth corner in with, uh, with, uh, behind Peterson, um, Murphy, uh, Kirkpatrick and Jones. I, I mean, and, um, uh, where I have this, oh, Jones and then Whitaker. So that, those were my five and it's this kind of year we can have, um, we can keep Webb and Crowley Crawley on the practice squad. Um, they're both eligible. <clears throat> I think that would be great. Maybe one of the other rookies like uh, Zane Lewis um, and maybe Kevin Peterson too, but we can load up on corners just to be on the safe side. So I think the depth there, I agree with Johnny um, and you, Blake. I like now what Kime has done. I think he did about as best as he could. Um and, you know, we've got depth there. we got guys, as Johnny said, who can start in a pinch. So um, they've loaded up on the position and hoping that, you know, at least one or two of them really pans out. And I'm hoping for the best. Uh, and, uh, you know, but I'm just wondering, I wish they could just put Byron Murphy out on the boundary, teach him how to play it, because you know he'll stick people. 
and you know he's the athlete that we saw at Washington. I still don't understand the obsession with him in the slot, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, for sure, Walter. I know that the biggest thing was for in camp, it seemed the Cardinals saw the comfort level. And maybe some of it is just understanding leverage and getting a bit of safety help over the top. Um, I do appreciate how Murphy is. Uh, at this stage of his career, he is far in advance better uh, as far as the tackling goes than Patrick Peterson and had some clutch plays on third down last year and that responsible. Get into some of the corner situation when we're breaking down the 53. Uh, the last big news item before we talk about that, though, was two players who had injuries or are sitting out of practice. Uh, Kenyon Drake has his foot in a boot. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury went in front of the media, said that they're not expecting it to be anything serious, more precautionary. We'll have to see how that goes for the most part. Drake himself sent out a tweet saying and, and noting that he was in a boot at this time last year in Miami, and he ended up being fine. I think at least the good news for the Cardinals is that we do know that Chase Edmonds has proved himself to be capable, and Eno Benjamin has also demonstrated that, uh, at least from what seems like in camp, uh, he's having to compete with fellow Arizona State alum DJ Foster, who's been on the team for, it feels like almost forever now for uh, for some reason, he seems to always get hurt in the preseason, poor guy. So this time it seems that he's been able to at least be healthy. But I think that they've got two guys behind who can carry the rock, so it's not a concern. Uh, but Drake is expected to be one of the top-producing fantasy running backs uh, to be able to get a full season in with the Cardinals. Uh, Max Williams has also uh, been a bit banged up. They're hoping that he'll just be ready to go for uh, the September opener against the Niners. Uh, all it's really done is allow Dan Arnold to really take on even more snaps in practice, and uh, he's shown through for the most part. He even had a Zoom meeting, I believe, scheduled with the Cardinals today because there was so much buzz, and it's very different for a guy who came out of a Division three school to be able to go over. But, uh, Walter, John, do either of you guys have any concerns about, at least with Drake or Williams at this point? Because I feel like, at least for me, that a lot of the stuff is more precautionary, just trying to get them healthy to start the season so that you can go in with that first game against the Niners and hopefully be able to pull off a upset win and shock the world. Yeah, I, I think with with regard to Williams, it's precautionary. And I listen, Dan Arnold has emerged. He is going to be a factor in this offense from a receiving standpoint uh, that Max Williams just won't be. But that doesn't mean he doesn't play a critical role. They gave him an extension for a reason last year. He was one of, if not the best blocking tight end in football. So they need him if they if they want their running game to be as consistent as it was a year ago. You look at what he did against particularly San Francisco in both outings, looked incredibly strong. So the Cardinals need him, and I think by all accounts he should be ready to go, but I, I would absolutely take it slow. I think probably the more alarming of the two, just in, with regard to where he's at, is Kenyon Drake, who, listen, Kenyon Drake wants to play. He's on a one-year contract. He wants an extension with the team. He wants to be one of those running backs in the league that can be featured uh, and, and to get a nice extension a la Derrick Henry. Um, so it's not like he is being um, stingy with a holdout, not like what we talked about earlier, potentially with Hopkins, which we don't think that's happening, but you get the point I'm trying to make. But here, here's another point I want to make. The Cardinals running back position is the most valuable, one of the most valuable positions for a running back in all of football. This isn't the New York Jets where Le'Veon Bell averages like 3.2 yards per carry. It's a nightmare scenario. Kenyon Drake was su successful because he's a, he's a hell of a player, but also in part because he's got the opportunity to play alongside the dual 
threat in Kyler Murray, and then how innovative Cliff Kingsbury is with his running game. The Cardinals with it with the DVOA last year, I think the second most efficient running team in all of football behind the Baltimore Ravens, which is insane. So here's what I would I would give Cardinal fans some some solace in, in thinking about well, what if Kenyon Drake can't play Week One. I put this out on Twitter. I've done this like three or four times. Chase Edmonds, the team, is so confident in him. Kingsbury came out before this injury to Drake and said, it feels like we have two number one backs on this team. Edmonds was a fourth-round pick, played, uh, is, is going into his third year. I watched him play at Lambeau Field two years ago when they won that game because of his tough running ability. Last year, he had 60 carries for 300 yards, four touchdowns, and averaged 5.1 yards per carry. Kenyon Drake had the double the attempts and double the production with almost identical numbers. So what does that tell you? If, if Chase Edmonds gets the bulk of the load, he's going to put up similar numbers. And if he doesn't go down in that Saints game a year ago, they don't trade for Kenyon Drake. They probably bring in some free agent to back up Edmonds, but he's the guy. He is able, nice pass catching back. He had 12 receptions last year and minimal um capacity for over 100 yards had a touchdown absolutely destroyed the Giants I know the Giants aren't a great team a year ago but Chase Edmonds ran through them like a hot knife through butter I mean he looked exceptional he always flashes when he's on the field he breaks tackles um so I of course you want Kenyon Drake to start week one but I, for those of you saying well it's a disaster scenario number one there's no there's no position that's more um, flexible than running back in terms of inserting capable guys. Kingsbury was able to do it on the fly last year. Uh, I think Kenyon Drake had like three days to prepare for San Francisco, two days, and, and rushed for over 100 yards. Is Kyler Murray healthy? Yes. Is Cliff Kingsbury still calling the plays? Yes. Is the offensive line intact? Yes. Then they ought to be able to produce with one of the one of the capable backs they have. And I didn't even mention Blake and Walter, somebody like Eno Benjamin, where we're thinking like, oh man, he's got mid-round talent. They got him in the seventh. He may have to play a critical role now. But for Kenyon Drake's sake, he said it's precautionary. I tend to want to believe him. You know, let him hang out for you know a couple practices, see how it goes. But I, I, I don't think you lose too much if Chase Edmonds is in the backfield, Walter. Right. Uh, I agree 100%. Really excited about our running back group. All three of those guys, I think, can, can answer the bell. And, and the th- exciting thing about this year, um, Cardinal fans, uh, you can expect this. I think one of the real um, focuses of this camp and the offseason has been um, increasing the number of touches running backs get in our offense in the passing game. Um, and not just for screens, because we didn't run them very well to the running backs, um, but on swing passes, on out passes, on um, on wheel routes, on over-the-middle routes. Uh, I think you're going to see um, the Cardinals run more for verticals than they did last year because I think they're a little more comfortable blocking with five um, than they were last year. Um, And also, but when you run the four verticals, then when you thread the running back in behind them, as the Patriots often do, um, it's really tough to cover. And in Drake, Edmonds, and Benjamin, we have three very capable catch and rack running backs who can wreak havoc on a defense. So, um, it's going to be a you know really exciting to watch what we do with the running backs this year, and, 
Yeah, I, I'm a little nervous about Drake's foot that it's in a in a walking boot right now, but he says don't worry. So um, I tend to cut him some slack on that, and uh, I think he will be ready for week 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 one, and hopefully he'll pick up where he left off last year. Uh, without further ado, let's go and shift it. Looking at our final fifty-three, just the current predictions that we have, I think we're going to break it down position by position, and maybe a, a sentence or two on the spot. Uh, if there's any points of contention, we can start to go over. Uh, starting with the quarterback position, and I think the big question, at least here, is you know that Kyler Murray and Brett Hundley are obviously the one-two punch. Uh, the Cardinals showed last year against the Seahawks. The big question, I think, comes down to Chris Straveler, who is not necessarily going to be making the team for his acumen as a passer, but rather the large size and athleticism that he has, which was compared to a Taysom Hill, and he's apparently having to learn and pick up special teams. Uh, Walter, do, do you think that Straveler is someone who's just going to be a practice squad quarterback, or is there a chance that, hey, if he's going to be like a punt protector or – be that type of player that he has a chance to make the 53 this year. Yes, he does. Um, and now if, if, if Drake's injury is more serious than what we know, um, I think Straveler makes it week one. She'd be the third running back. I'm sure they have a package for him. Um, when you watch his tape in the, the CFL, man, this kid he runs over people. I mean, he is just no fear. Um, and he had all these touchdowns up there um, running the ball. And so put him in the backfield with Kyler on an RPO. Um, boy, that, that's an attractive um, little package to put in behind, you know, um, Edmonds and, and Benjamin if, if we can't, had to come to that. So, um, but I know that um, – Jeff Rogers is working furiously to try to get him involved with special teams. And if that's the case, if he's taking it that well, then that increases his chances as well. I'm not sure he's a guy that someone would claim on a roster. So, you know, if it came down to it, I think they could probably pass him through waivers. Um, and, you know, I mean, I still like Kyle Sloter as a number three quarterback. Nobody signed him, so um, you know if, if it came to that and somebody claimed Streveler, I mean Slaughter's not going to run the ball, but he, I mean he can as a quarterback, but not as a running back. Um, but yeah, I think you know right now I would say it's fifty-fifty. What do you think, John? I, I yeah, Walter. Sorry, I had trouble coming off mute there. I, I think they'll keep him. I think that in this landscape of needing options at the quarterback position if something god forbid were to happen to brett hundley or kyler murray with regard to testing positive to COVID 19 um i i think that they'd be foolish not to have three quarterbacks they've invested time in him since the spring um clearly they think he can be a weapon like you mentioned why not have a couple options with him in a package that you know include him in the backfield with kyler both having the ability to throw the football i think that that's very enticing to kingsbury um a la Taysom hill and in, in new orleans and as long as kyler murray's not leaving the field for it i'm all for it but i just think with regard to okay like 
what if you had to start Brett Hundley because Kyler Murray has COVID-19? You want Strevler around as an option because they're going to lean in on that running game, and I think he's just another component of that. So it's, it's another chess piece for Kingsbury to have, and I, I do think he'll he'll end up making the team just out of necessity. Like you mentioned, I don't think he'd I don't think he'd go through waivers for a practice squad spot. I think that that position is too valuable right now. And I, I'm just so high on Kingsbury's ability to mentor and develop quarterbacks. I, I'm just curious to see what he looks like. Can, can Kingsbury mold him like a Peyton would a Taysom Hill? Is, is Kingsbury going to be that kind of um, quarterback guru head coach where it's like, yeah, we know this guy can play. He, he played for Andy Reid or he played for – you know, Sean Payton, he played for Kyle Shanahan. He played for Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, I think that this has a chance to be his first in the reclamation project, not even considering what he did with Brett Hundley last year, where Hundley looked incredibly capable leading the team in, in that game against Seattle in the second half. So I think they keep three quarterbacks out of necessity. It will be very interesting to see exactly like uh, what I was thinking of the easiest way to look at it with Straveler is to bring him in. Uh, to take some of the rushing punishment off of Kyler, or if you put the two quarterbacks on the field at the same time, you could suddenly be able to have even a play where uh, suddenly Straveler ends up being able to get a handoff, almost maybe a flea flicker type, can even dish the ball back out to Murray in another spot that teams aren't uh, expecting. Uh, you can think at least of how the Philadelphia Eagles used the Philly special with Trey Burton, who was a former uh, quarterback either in high school, I believe even had some experience at the collegiate level who is able to uh, dial up some of those different types of plays I've got him on the roster I've got three quarterbacks I think that from seeing last year when Chase Edmonds scored a touchdown against the Giants and then gave up a blocked punt against the Giants on almost the very uh, next series if I remember correctly um, just having a bigger guy who's be able to be back there as the personal punt blocker or being able to be on a trick play of you know, you don't have to uh, have uh, – I remember last year the Cardinals on fourth down, they had that passing play against the Buccaneers uh, that their punter did, at least that was shockingly completed, being able to have an actual quarterback or slash rushing threat. It just seems like the, the way the NFL is moving is much more toward this idea of quarterback mobility and quarterback flexibility, whether that's with one or two or being able to just have all sorts of different options. So I've got him on the roster uh, the curious one for me next is uh, the wide receiver position because you've got your obvious three, the Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, and Christian Kirk are obviously your starters, and I expect a lot of 11 personnel with three wide receivers uh, the, being the bulk of the time this year on the field. Uh, the question are the guys afterwards. You've got guys like Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, Keyshawn Johnson. Uh, you also have Trent Sherfield, who's vying for a roster spot. And then the team has signed, I know, a couple of other guys, such as um, uh, JoJo Ward's been one, Johnny Dixon. They even have, I believe, another uh, uh, Patton is another wide receiver that they signed as well. I've got only six wide receivers this year versus seven. I think part of that at least is looking at Dan Arnold and his flexibility. I don't know if you need a seventh wide receiver. I think the order is just a question. Is it going to be Isabella, Sherfield, Johnson, Butler, or can someone like a Ward or Dixon make it? Walter, what were your thoughts at least on the 53 for the Cards wide receivers? Yeah, um, I, on my most recent one, I agonized the last – my pick was between Strebler and Keem Butler, and I, I – went with Butler. Um, it's just agonizing because you see the talent and he's just, you know, he's a year behind now. Um, you know, I don't, 
expect him to be a huge contributor yet this year, but he's still just a second year player. And, you know, he's the elephant in the room, obviously. And, you know, there were rumors on the internet that he was being shopped. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, although it would disappoint me if they did like trade him for a seventh rounder. That would really bum me out. Um, Cause he's way worse. He's, he's, his talent is, is uh, way worth more than a seventh round pick. But, you know, um, I think Sherfield is such a core special teamer. He's probably a lock. So it's going to come down to, I, I, I think, you know, you're probably right, Blake. It's probably going to be six. I agree with your assessment that Dan Arnold, see, I think they're grooming Arnold for Spitz's spot after Fitz leaves. Um, that's my guess. Um, the tall slot, you know, flex wide receiver. Um, so, but he'll play tight end this year and he'll may play some Y in certain sets. Um, but, uh, yeah, cause Dar- Arnold is really, you know, key pickup. Um, you know, and Isabella and Johnson are locks. So, you know, I, Interestingly, I heard Cliff say that they expect um, Christian Kirk to return punts. I know he earlier mentioned Johnny Dixon in that role, but seeing as uh, he now turned to Christian Kirk, that tells me perhaps they probably want to squeeze Dixon again through waivers because um, I think they're high on his talent. I just not don't think they want to commit a roster spot to him yet, but, you know, practice squad for sure. And I know, you know, I've heard good things about JoJo Ward. He's probably not ready either. So, and I don't think he'll he'll be a special teams player. So, yeah, yeah, I I'd have to agree with you. I think if you keep Strebler in like you guys did, I think the guy who comes out, unfortunately, is Butler. Yeah, I um, I'm gonna stretch here and say they keep seven wideouts. Uh, I haven't I haven't done the logistics of it. But I think Kingsbury loves his receivers, and I think they could carry one less tight end. They could carry one less offensive lineman because you've got Pew and, Pew and Cole with so much flexibility. And they could make <clears throat> Josh Jones at active, although he would still par- be part of the 53. I, I think, the, of course, the top three are locks, Hopkins, Fitzgerald, Kirk. And then, to me, I think who is going to get the bulk of that fourth receiver time in all actuality, it's going to be Dan Arnold, but on the on the depth chart, it's going to be either Keyshawn Johnson, who you go back and look at the early portion of last year, he made a lot of plays for this team, or it's going to be Andy Isabella based on what did he do in the offseason to separate himself. But I think both of those guys are locks. That brings us to five receivers. Like like you mentioned, Walter, Trent Sherfield is a grinder, a special teamer. They're high on him. He's been playing outside when Hopkins is hurt. He's a guy that I think you want in your locker room. Gritty. I liked everything that I saw from him a year ago when, when you talk about all the behind-the-scenes stuff. He's just trying to make a paycheck. Love having those guys on the team. And then I think they're either going to keep Butler uh, or they're going to deal him. They're not. Gonna, I don't think they're going to cut him outright. Uh, and I would be equally bummed, Walter, if they if they cut him for or traded him for a throwaway pick like a seventh rounder. Let's let's see what he can do in a game. He might be one of those players that just plays better than he practices. He was underwhelming last year in in, in the in the not the preseason, but in the practices that they had. He looked 
He looked overwhelmed, but he's got freakish athletic ability, and it would be a huge mistake to throw him away, let him go, and let another team who's wide receiver dependent, you know, let's say if they cut him, let's say San Francisco got their hands on him, somebody like that, and he, and he had a critical role for a team like that. You would look incompetent. He was the first pick of the fourth round. I, I loved the pick. I applauded it. That was, I was so fired up. I was watching the Iowa State highlights for days after that draft. Give him an opportunity because, you know what, this team has a lot of slot receivers. And like you mentioned, Walter, Dan Arnold could very well be the heir apparent there. But Kirk is primarily better suited for underneath. So is Isabella. So they've got Hopkins, who's your X outside, your alpha. But what about that other Y? Is it Keyshawn Johnson? I think it's good depth. But big physical players on the outside is something that this team has not had. That's why they struggled so much, among other reasons, in the red zone last year. You add Hopkins, who's still a little bit undersized, but you get Dan Arnold. What if you got Dan Arnold and Hakeem Butler in the field at the same time? Talk about mismatches that you can take advantage of. So I'm with you guys. I think if you had to ask me today, I think they keep him just to kind of stash him and see what they have because I think it's too early to give up on him, and I know Kingsbury loves his receivers. The rest of those guys you guys name our practice squad candidates, um, absolutely keep them around, see what they can do, see if you can develop them. But I think what really hurts Hakeem is his lack of awareness with the offense missing all of last year, and then, of course, the fact that guys like Sherfield and maybe Keyshawn, they play special teams. So you've got to really separate yourself. But I'll be, I'll be bummed for sure, as will a lot of Cardinal fans, uh, if they opt to move, move off of him. Yeah, and I think with Butler, the biggest question has always been, the the upside and the potential that he could be able to hit and giving him enough time to be able to develop since he was a raw prospect coming out. Everyone knew that. It was just kind of, I think, then you have to look at the pros and cons of is it better to hold on and keep continuing to develop because of hoping that that payoff then of having a guy who's you know 6'6 and can run a 4'4", uh, with that size and the ability to make some of those contested catches, uh, but maybe is inconsistent. Maybe it's a lot of it may come down to just mentally not quite there with routes, dropping passes. A lot of concentration drops was I know a, a knock that people had given him, and having that be weighed up against versus developing a guy like a Keyshawn Johnson or even like a JoJo Ward who was used as a deep threat in an air raid system in Hawaii who was able to essentially use his routes there's a play at least i think i tweeted out a few months ago with ward where he essentially did a juke move that caused a player to stumble and he was wide open for a touchdown it was very different from the style of hakeem butler who you know he's never going to be able to juke anyone out of his of their shorts but he may be the one guy who can catch a ball in double coverage at least that's put him in the end zone with that frame i think that is going to be one of the stories to watch with cardinals camp what it does seem to be clear however is the fact that Kingsbury did mention Isabella and Johnson uh, as far as for guys he's seen a lot of improvement from. He did not mention Butler. Uh, to me, I have him off the roster for right now. It is notable that he would be practice squad eligible if he goes through waivers. Uh, it would be very difficult, I think, to see another fourth-round pick go. But when I look at the other players who are there selected in the fourth round, it, it's not like there was any star players who were taken you know, right after the pick like we saw with... Um, I think back to the tight end that the Cardinals drafted out of Florida of Atlantic, Rob Hausler. Very next pick went on to be one of the best pass rushers in the NFL over the last decade for the Chiefs and Justin Houston. There's not that regret that you have with Akeem Butler, and a lot of Cardinals fans, I think, are 
Uh, don't care for the most part as long as the team is able to see a great deal of success, but it is going to lead into who is that second wide receiver across from DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Christian Kirk will have to prove that he can be that guy this year. Uh, like John said, I think he's much better as a slot guy too, so it'll be something to watch. Um, moving on to the running back position, you've got Kenyon Drake, Chase Edmonds are obviously your one-two. The question then comes down to, is it going to be a DJ Foster who's been on the team for, it feels like this is his fourth year, I believe. You've got an undrafted free agent in Jonathan Ward. You've got two Joe Wards this year, essentially. And the seventh round pick, Eno Benjamin. I think Eno's the guy who I would pick for sure as a lock. The question then is, is there a fourth running back that you put on this team? And right now, guys, I don't have one on this team, unfortunately. And I do think that that would mean the end of DJ Foster's time on the team would be a bummer to see the Arizona State running back uh, for the locals get replaced by another, but I don't see a need to have a fourth running back unless Kenyon Drake's injury is worse than we think and he's not ready to go. Yeah, um, I think they like DJ enough to keep him on the practice squad, which is perfect this year because you can activate those guys a couple times on game days if you need them because his, his value now is on special teams. He's not going to be. Um, yeah, I always thought his better position was slot receiver, but he couldn't hold up physically, unfortunately. Um, and he's a great guy and everyone loves him. And, you know, so I think it's logical to me that I don't think anyone's going to claim DJ Foster. Do you guys? No, I don't think so. Uh, and I agree with both of you. I think he's, I think they're going to keep three backs because I think that, Kingsbury, when he plays a back, that's the back. He doesn't do many multiple back sets. There's not you're not giving guys breathers unless it's absolutely necessary. Uh, there's no certainly no fullbacks in this scenario. So it's I mean that's why it's so critical. If Kenyon Drake is not healthy, the, he's he's going to have a chance to lose his his opportunity to be the starter. But whomever is back there is the guy and is going to get could get 30 plus touches a game. And I just I think that when you talk about the desire to want to keep talent at receiver, the Cardinals don't have that kind of talent at running back outside of, you know, we, we like, you know, Drake, of course, is established, and then Chase. They don't, they're not, they don't have a plethora of backs that they can be like, well, it's going to be hard to part with so-and-so. Um, and I do think uh, Blake and Walter, they wanted to take a back this year in the draft, just none of them fell to them at, at the right time. And I think that's a position you could absolutely address next year. Um, but I think you, you you see what you have. Can it, can Eno be explosive enough to keep around to to be a spot starter if you need to? But I I agree with both of you. I I think there are so many other more critical positions on the team, and the fact that the Cardinals go uh, no back sets a fair amount um, that it's just it's not a priority right now. But I mean, like we could be talking next year after this year. Cardinals are established. They have a strong year. Drake looks good, but he's injured. J- Chase looks good in, in you know certain instances. They could have a scenario in which they get their Clyde Edwards, um, and and it be you know the the darling of the fantasy world. They could get a young college back to come in and, and be a bell cow next year with Ed, Drake on a one year deal. Edmonds is on a cheap rookie deal. I mean, you, I could absolutely see a scenario like that. I just I think right now. DJ is is a part of the old regime and doesn't have the explosiveness. You can't be a plotter like David Johnson was. You got to have explosiveness. You got to have the big playability. And I think the three guys they have right now, 
have that, and that's why they'll stick around. Uh, the reason why it probably is is just because it's so much cheaper to go out and find a running back in the second and third round. You've got two guys in Chase and Eno who can at least see if you prove themselves this year. If they don't, just sign a cheap veteran on a one-year deal, go out and get your long-term running back for the next four or five years uh, then in the next uh, second round, at least, if that's something that you need to do. Uh, I don't think that spending a first on a running back is needed for this regime. Yeah, I I think that if, uh, you know, if Larry's coming back next year, you can't afford Larry and a running back of, the you know, the, of the salary that Kenyon Drake wants. Um, so, and hopefully... They can get fits for a little less than 11.7 mil because you know things might be tighter next year. Um, now there are those who are convinced this is going to be Fitz's last year. I know Gambo's been talking about that, and others. Uh, I'm not convinced of it at all. I think if we go deep this year or get to the playoffs and get a whiff of it, and we got something special going, which I believe we will, I think Fitz is knocking on history too. I don't think, you know, the sentiment of that, I don't think he's, he's going to leave this, um, you know, take a lot. So, um, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Unless Kenyon Drake says, hey, I love it here. I'll play for whatever um, or takes a reasonable salary. I mean, I totally agree. I loved um, Edward Solaire. God, I was hoping we could take him. Um, I was trying every which way to find a way for us to get him but uh but it wasn't going to work out and too bad he's on the chiefs gosh dang it but um but yeah and the tight end i i'm i'm on board with all three of those the cardinals like darrell uh daniels better daryl daniels better than people realize and um you know he fills multiple roles and he's very good on special teams so he's the third guy um I think Dylan Cantrell is probably a project still uh, and probably will be kept on the practice squad. And I think they like um, the kid Becker as a, as a, uh, as a blocker um, and, and potential fullback in short start, short yarded situations. So I think he's got a decent chance to stick on the practice squad as well. Yeah, definitely agree. Hey, John's going to have to take a, a take off for right now at least for that one we'll be able to close it out with the rest of the 53 at least thanks john for your contributions for that one it's kind of weird to like say goodbye but there's uh you know places to be and problems to cause right for you <laughs> yeah kids to take care of all that good stuff walter it was a pleasure talking with you thanks so much for hopping on uh continued success on the site enjoy it uh always make sure to look out for one of walter's articles you know there'll be just really good content in there Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Johnny. Great job, man, as always. And with that, let's move on to the offensive tackle position versus looking at just O-line as far as for each of those. I tried to break it up just because the Cardinals have an abundance of tackles this year. Uh, they've got, obviously, your likely two starters at this point seem to be locked in. The veterans, DJ Humphreys, who's back on that three-year deal, and Kelvin Beecham, a one-year deal, he seems like he's set at right tackle, taking over for Justin Murray. Uh, Josh Jones has at least looked like everything the Cardinals have wanted him to be thus far in camp is what I've heard. He's been impressive. It makes sense given the fact that his hand usage was 
phenomenal first round worthy. The only area that he really was not even lackluster in, but needed, I guess, tweaking would be just some general footwork. And then as far as run blocking goes, it's not like he's going to be a road grader out there like a DJ Humphreys has been, where that's a a great slash maybe borderline elite part of his game. It's just not part of his game. But as far as pass protection goes, the fact that I've heard that the Cardinals are looking at keeping him at left tackle, it's not like he's in competition for the right. They've got Justin Murray slid on that right-hand side and Josh Jones on the left. I think the question then is, is there even a need to keep a Brett Toth or uh, to keep a guy like a Joshua Miles who was impressive last year as a potential backup or swing guy? I've got both of those guys potentially on the practice squad this year. Uh, For sure, at least Joshua Miles is the one I have. Uh, Do you have anything at least for the offensive tackle that you think that's outside of the norm for that, Walter? Yeah, I time a before Josh Jones takes over at right tackle um, even though they might be I think they're they're playing him at left right now to swing him early until they're comfortable they can slide him in there um, Brett Coleman said today and I just loved hearing this he was at the senior bowl he couldn't believe this guy wasn't a first round pick said he blocked everything in sight he only gave up one one uh, sack the entire week of practice and nothing in the game shut out, you know, the DNs there um, with regularity. He said he was so impressed. He said he crushed every block. Um, And uh, he still can't believe he said it was the luckiest break. The Cardinals have gotten in ages that the Jones, that in the Hopkins trade, that Jones was available in the third round. And that with him being as such a superior pass blocker, I mean, he gave up like what, like one sack in two years, his last two years. I mean, it's it's it's, it's amazing. He had the highest BFF grade of a college blocker, um, edge player, edge blocker um, in in all football, or college football. But and Brett made a great point, and I've been thinking about this too. Is that you know the more that we can block with five and not six, aids and abets, you know. Cliff Kingsbury's offense in, in such a myriad of ways. And if we get a really fine fast blocker on that right side to go opposite DJ, um, look out. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Beecham's on a one-year deal, you know, and he's a veteran. Maybe it makes sense to have him start, although I like the continuity with Justin Murray. I mean, if, if they're convinced that Beecham's the starter and, you know, and, and uh, um, Josh Jones would be the swing. I could see them trading Justin Murray. I think they'd get value for him actually after the good grades he posted, particularly down the stretch last year. Um, although he would be only a restricted free agent next year too, so he's still very reasonable. So I'd love to see them ha- keep him if they can. But Brett Toff is a really fascinating prospect. I've looked a lot into his background, and I think the Cardinals are enamored with him. He's a, a Sean Coogler kind of guy, you know, with a you know military background and tough kid, but he's got great, really good feet and bend. Um, and maybe they're they're trying him out inside to see if he can be a, like a, a utility guy who can play up and down the guard and tackle spots. But so I had the Cardinals keeping tough um, and making tougher decisions elsewhere. Um, but maybe I'm wrong on that. I could be wrong. 
Joshua Miles, um, I think, can will make it to the practice squad. I don't think he's he would be claimed. Um, there's just not enough tape on him yet, um, and he's raw. I mean, everyone knows he's got some talent, but he's still raw. So yeah, I I think you know, I think they try to find a way to keep tough if they can, and what could aid and abet that would be making a trade for Murray if they've decided to move on from Murray um, at right tackle. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see for me if Toth or Miles, I think one of those tackles I could see the Cardinals protecting as far as being a protected player on the practice squad. You can have that for up to four players uh, each week. Uh, There's 16 players. I know that's been the essentially kind of the COVID squad, if you wanted to call it for all of that. Uh, Toth being a guy who could potentially be groomed to take over or see about sliding inside to take over from J.R. Sweezy. Uh, that would be fascinating to me, given the uh, size right. and the ability that he would have. I would be very curious, especially considering that the guard position right now, uh, right now there's four players you have at least who I think are guards. You've got Justin Pugh. You have J.R. Sweezy. I've got Max Garcia would be kind of the first replacement. He's the typical um, guy who's been with Sean Kugler even since Denver. Uh, he's healthy, at least coming into this season now. And in some cases, it seems like he's almost gotten a, uh, whether it's due injury or not, he would probably be getting the first team reps if Sweezy or Pew was out. Uh, Lamont Galliard is the other player who I see. And what's interesting about Garcia and Galliard is both of those guys can also play center. Garcia has not really seen time at center in the league, but he can play that. And Lamont Galliard was a center when he was drafted out of Georgia and is handling SEC defensive and nose tackles. He was a guy who gave Derek Brown some issues, they said, at Auburn even. Uh, not this last year, but the year before. So that will be something that will be interesting to watch. So I've got a total of 10 guys right now from, uh, I think you're looking at, you know, four offensive tackles, uh, four guys who play guard, and then your one clear and obvious center in Mason Cole. Uh, that just seems to be kind of what's set for the Cardinals at the offensive line position. I don't think that there's anyone that I would see being added to the interior versus just calling Toth up from the practice squad, potentially, if you needed him. Right. I think you're right on top of that. Uh, I agree with all of it. Uh, I think the interesting call would be if there's a guy you could try to, if they were comfortable enough with Galliard being the swing guard and center, I suppose they could, you know, Garcia's on a one-year deal. I don't think they want to move on from Garcia, but you know, there's some tough decisions that got to be, that have to be made in there. And I, I don't know. Um, I think they're also, uh, from what I've heard um, a little bit is, they like Sam Jones and the kid from Penn State, Stephen Gonzalez, um, as potential down-the-road guys at guard um, that they want to groom. Both those guys will pass through waivers. I don't have really much doubt about that. So, you know, and then when you can pull guys up for a game or two without having to waive them, you know, you can stash guys on the practice squad this year actually treat them as if they're on the roster because you can't activate them. So it's an interesting call. I think Garcia's probably, um, you know, it depends on how high they are about uh, Lamont Galliard. If they like him enough, it's possible. And 
with the young guards behind him, it's possible maybe they move on from Garcia. Also, I would imagine that Garcia might have some trade value because of his versatility as a guard center. Um, and you never know with these trades um, down the wire. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with you there, Blake. Yeah, great. That makes it pretty easy to be able to break down. It's nice to have depth at the offensive tackle position where now you've got three guys who at least have had veterans who've started and then the fourth who can sit with uh, Jones. I'll be interested to see if they do any type of Justin Murray at guard to see if they prefer to keep him at tackle or if he can be kind of a Swiss Army knife offensive lineman. Uh, let's move to the defensive side now. Uh, at the edge rush position, or in this case, there's two outside linebackers in Vance Joseph's scheme. They each played two different roles. One is the primary pass rusher. I think you called it either like the robber or the bandit is that version. Right. The other side is the strong side or Sam linebacker. That's the one that more likely has to drop into coverage. Right. Uh, the fact that they've moved Dennis Gardeck from an inside linebacker to an outside linebacker tells me that either they're looking for some more depth at that spot. I think he's going to make the roster off of special teams. Right. Um, they've got Devon Kennard and Hassan Reddick. I think that both of them are at least athletic enough. The hardest decision for me was I almost feel like that I would take a Kylie Fitz over a Hassan Reddick if given the choice. But given the fact that Reddick spent a year in the defense, what they invested, I, I just felt like I couldn't I just couldn't pull the trigger and have them cutting Reddick, cutting the salary that he had of having to, you know, if you're a draft pick, your salary is guaranteed. I felt like that would be more likely that they would – um, just put a guy like Fitz onto the practice squad. So I had Chandler Jones, Devon Kennard, Dennis Gardeck, and Hassan Reddick were my types, but it wouldn't shock me if they you know, tried to see if they could get a better potential pass rusher after teams make some of their cuts, if they felt they were able to. Given the fact that Reddick played defensive end in college, we saw seven sacks the last two seasons from Kennard, I think they'll be fine. Maybe you go into 2021 looking for an upgrade at uh, one of those different areas for a pass rusher. But in this sense, I think that you're probably going to be set at edge. What are your thoughts, at least, Walter, on the outside linebacker spot? Yeah. He's not right where he belongs. Um, the whole defense changed when, as Brick Coleman um, documented so well in his video, um, worst to first, when they took Reddick put him on the outside and got Suggs out of um, the real linebacker and the Jack, whatever you want to call it, um, and was able to put Chandler there where he belongs. Um, against Seattle, on the edge there was a huge, huge setback game. I mean, he tracked down Russell Wilson a couple times. And you know, with Wilson, if you break and chain with them, you're in big time trouble. So, what's going to happen is I think that Riddick's probably going to start in base because of all those guys. The, the, the guy who covered best um, and drop off in the coverage is Riddick. Um, Coleman made a great. We were talking about that. Remember against the 49ers when we lost to zero coverage? Chandler Jones in a that peel alert to take the running back one-on-one. We're going to score over the middle. And, um, they ran uh, Wilson over the middle for an easy walk-in touchdown. When we had a lead at Santa Clara, we had a play still just rips. But 
leverage from that spot is important, it really is. And even um, um, a, a Sam linebacker needs to do frequently, and he can play can aim pretty well. So, and I think Kennard's going to be the you know will come in in the nickel and play the majority of snaps in the nickel rusher opposite um, Jalen Jones. And I know they're working on making Reddick and Isaiah Simmons the this year's five. They used Cassius Marsh in that role last year when they rushed him from the inside as one of the you know. Um, you know, interior pass rushers, but with an idea of if you can't break free and get through the quarterback, staying waiting and being a spy, um, which they did against Russell Wilson pretty well. Um, I know that role really well in Reddick and, of course, in Isaiah Simmons. So I was watching the drills, and Kylie Fitz looks really the part in a um, as a, you know, um, and I think he can play both sides and he's got, you know, he's one of those scrappy, uh, ends that, you know, has, has abilities and he graded well last year in limited action. So I like them keeping five there and obviously uh, he'll make it. Garrick was heck of a best right end rusher at college. So, yeah, that was the most of it. This too. So it's good to see moving people around and finding better spots for them. And the move by drafting Evan Beaver, which we'll get to on that. This is a weird spot. Let's move on to talking the inside linebacker spot. I, I love the pick of Evan Weaver because. Uh, even though he won't be this uh, freak athlete, I think that he'll be able to be at least replacement Jordan Hicks level in a season or two. You have Devondre Campbell that the team said that they were shocked to get him on a one-year deal. It'll be interesting to see how they'll shake out uh, as far as the position goes. I do know one thing I can pass on is the uh, Cardinals have a base defense. and It's not their base, but a base defense that does put three inside linebackers on the field, that being Devondre Campbell, Jordan Hicks, uh, and Isaiah Simmons being the other one who uh, Simmons then could line up potentially in coverage safety. You could line up over the slot. Although Vance Joseph said he doesn't expect that to be the case. You'd probably need to have a tight end be in the slot um, where I could see him also lining up would be potentially as either a blitzer on the outside of Chandler Jones, or even as an edge rusher. And you could even drop a, a guy like Kennard back into coverage, which would be uh, just interesting to mix it up. I also have them with Evan Weaver after that, and I have Ezekiel Turner making the roster. That was one I stressed over. He's not the biggest guy, but he's a core special teams player, I think, at this point. I believe he had a record for tackles and special teams in at least 2018 for the Cardinals. I think that he's still going to be on the roster, and even though they've moved Dennis Gardeck out to outside linebacker, maybe they still try to find a veteran to come in in addition, because if Campbell or Hicks goes down, you're essentially relying on two rookies or on Turner to fill one of those roles. So I could see that being a spot where uh, Turner ends up being, uh, you know, we'll see how the team decides to kind of play it out if they can find a cheap inside linebacker who comes in. But that's what I have right now for the position. Yeah, I, I'm i with you on all that, except that I, I as that other linebacker who can play both in base and nickel, Tanner Bayeo. Um, who, uh, man, in his one game against the Browns, he, he was balling. 
and he's a really good special teams player. I don't know how, you know, I think it would be uh, a tough decision to have to decide between Turner and Vallejo. Um, Vallejo hasn't been able to hold up physically, but by all accounts, I mean, I was watching him in the drills. His footwork is outstanding. Um, and I know coaches pay a lot of attention to that. So, um, and he's a quick kid to the ball. Um, and he's fast on special teams. Turner had kind of an up and down year on special teams last year. He had penalties. Um, it just wasn't his year. You were right. In 2018, he was, you know, a Pro Bowl worthy, I think, or, or close to it with Buddha. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a tough decision, probably right there between those two. Um, Brett Coleman said today, and I agree with him, this is the deepest set of linebackers the Cardinals have had ever, um, or to our recent knowledge. Um, they really haven't had – he says, if, if if Weaver has to play for Hicks, don't worry, guys. You're in good shape. And I agree with that. I think Weaver is uh, is a potential star at Mike down the road. Um, so, uh, and Hicks is, he's got to improve his pass coverage this year. There's no doubt about that. Um, I don't know if he comes out in nickel now. Um, if he, if he doesn't, he may have to, which I know they wouldn't want because he's the captain of the defense. Um, but you know, if you've got more athletic guys who can cover like Vallejo or, um, you know, and you've got Campbell now, who he too has to improve his, his, uh, his, um, you know, coverage, but he's got the, the size and the speed to do it. And now of course, the amazing addition of Isaiah Simmons who can cover on everywhere, on probably anyone on any part of the field, um, makes it an exciting group. It's going to be hard to, you know, sort of decide, I think on the last, player or two there yeah walter i stressed over if i was going to put vallejo on or not and give them six linebackers ultimately what i ended up doing was i kept uh we'll get to the d line in here in a second but i kept trevon coley because i looked at their defensive tackle spot and realized that there weren't really any veterans that they had there was some positional flexibility but it was hard because i felt like there were at least you know a veteran like uh, Turner, who's also valuable on special teams, was someone who I just felt like I was good to say that I could be confident he could make the roster based on that, and maybe things change. Um, it was tough to be able to then, you had to skimp on another position if you keep six linebackers, and again, I don't think the Cardinals are going to keep three edge players, so uh, getting to the defensive line, uh, I had, uh, obviously you've got the starters and Corey Peters, so you're going to have his your nose tackle, I think that you're going to see Jordan Phillips be used as a defensive end in their scheme, although I think he can rotate in and play kind of that defensive tackle or even nose tackle role in this defense. Um, what's going to be curious, at least, is you've got a lot of young players after them. The one veteran who I do think the Cardinals, they did sign him to another contract, Jonathan Bullard. I think that he's one of those rotational players that you can count on. 
But otherwise, it's a bunch of guys who have not seen a lot of playing time. You're talking about Zach Allen, who's bulked up. Maybe he ends up moving into that defensive tackle role, so I have him there. Rashard Lawrence coming in at defensive end, uh, the fourth-round pick. Lucky Fotu is a guy who I think he was a not a steal maybe for where the Cardinals got him, but I think that the production you can get out of him for a fourth-round pick, including the ability to rush the passer, um, he also can, I think, be able to play along with a Corey Peters or a Jordan Phillips to the point where he could be a guy who's in on your goal line packages where teams are just not able to get those extra one to two yards just because of that freakish size. And then I had Michael Dogby also making the roster. He's reportedly bulked up and has been solid in camp. He's a sixth round pick, and so that's hard to know if he makes it or not. But as far as the tenacity and the fact he got production last year when playing, and then the last one I had was I was content to stick with just eight of the defensive linemen, but considering how young they all were, with Trevon Coley being a guy who's been on four or five teams and has spent time in the league, I put him at least as the last defensive tackle, but it wouldn't shock me at least if the Cardinals were not keeping him, brought in another guy on the practice squad, or even you know put Dogby on the practice squad at least for a year. What were some of your thoughts on the defensive line, Walter? Okay, um, just to clarify the record i wasn't keeping six linebackers i i chose Bayeo over turner it was a tough decision yeah um, it had was tough turner for me on. too yeah i had turner on i think we're good either way um because both are special teams players and that's their forte to begin with and they're not going to play much in, uh, unless somebody gets hurt in, in the defense um but I, I liked what you said about uh all the defensive linemen I didn't have Coley making it just because, or Bullard, just because, you know, these young guns that they've drafted are going to be active on game. They're not going to, you know, the active defensive linemen on game day are going to be Peters, Phillips, Allen, um, Fotu, and Rashad Lawrence. I mean, if you listen to Phillips talk about Fotu and Lawrence. I mean, he says she's never seen anyone bigger than Fotu. And uh, in fact, today he was ripping Fotu. Fotu's never worn gloves in his life in a game. And and um, Phillips was like, what are you, crazy? You're not going to wear gloves? He goes, no, I'm not going to wear gloves. I'm a rugby player, dude. And he is. He's a rugby player. He's a, you know, to watch him, it's going to be a joy. And then he he said of Rashad Lawrence, he said he's the best young defensive lineman I've ever seen. Whoa. Now, and I know that Lawrence played through injuries last year. He was a better player the year before um, when he was healthier. So, and it looks like Lawrence is in really good shape and in um, good playing, you know, in in good health right now. So um, it's going to be fascinating to see how he plays. So with those five being the actives, I thought the rest were, you know, pretty, you know, I had them keeping Dogby because he, he can rush the pass or some, which some of the other guys can't. I mean, you got the two nose tackles with, with Peters and Fotu. I know they really like Miles Brown, but I think they think they can keep him on the practice squad because he's not going to be active on game days unless they need him with one of those those tackles isn't available they, they'd activate him for the game um so i think and i don't think he's going to get claimed because he's an undersized guy but he's really tough 
and he's quick on the interior, and he's 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 a, he's a good young player, and he's a great tackler. I mean, he and Dogby scored very high in tackle percentages, by the way, in their limited um, actions last year. They were in the top part of the of the league in it in percentage tackle percentage from tackles, defensive tackles, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jonathan Bullard is a run stuffer, but I feel like photos, they're going to use photo um, in multiple spots. He's not going to just be a nose tackle. So I don't see Bullard playing in front of photo. Um, and he's not going to play in front of Peters and he's not going to play in front of Allen. Um, Allen's going to be, I can tell you this right now, I'm a BC grad. Look out for Allen. I mean, that kid is a baller. Like, you know, I've seen few, and there have been some great defensive players that came out of BC. Mark Herzlick, um, Keekley, Luke Keekley, and a host of others. And I'll tell you what, he's right on a par with those guys um, in terms of intensity and production and playmaking. He gets his hands up. He gets batted down balls. He's going to be, and he's going to, going to get to the quarterback too this year. You watch. So I had him going with the young guys because I think they're really high on them. But I wouldn't be surprised, Blake, if they do what you said and keep one of those veterans uh, on the roster. But I always, I've also felt like, like I don't think anyone will claim Jonathan Bullard. He got waived by Chicago last year, um, and I don't think anyone would claim, um, you know, Coley, Trevon Coley. So it's one of those great years where you could be able to cut these guys, but no, they're practice squad eligible and still have them on, basically on the roster because you can promote either one of them whenever you want. So, um, yeah, I just had them sticking with, with the younger guys mostly and then um, keeping the older guys on the practice squad. Yeah, and that's where it'll be interesting to see because the – uh, I went with the veterans over the youth, mostly only just due to the idea of the, the pandemic being the case. I love what Miles Brown could be. It was a tough decision to have to put Coley in over him. Um, same with Bullard. It would not shock me if the Cardinals end up going with um, seven guys instead of eight. Maybe you see an extra receiver going at that position to give you some speed. But it wouldn't shock me also if the Cardinals decided to say, hey, we're in a spot where we can you know, pull guys off the practice squad if need be, roll with some of those young guys. I'm excited to see because Zach Allen, he put on a lot of muscle, and that was one of the complaints about him coming out was if he's a bit of a tweener. Where exactly is his role going to be? Is he the outside kind of the five-technique defensive end, or is he going to be more of like a three-technique defensive tackle who's going to be getting upfield? I think he's got the flexibility to play either, but he for sure now falls into he's not a linebacker at the next level. He's going to be a defensive end, and that's where right. I was excited because all of a sudden you're talking about a defensive line that has Corey Peters. You're talking about year two of Allen and then Jordan Phillips. That's putting probably all of your best pass rushers or even what you could call play disruptors on the field at the same time. And you can still then rotate in a guy like a Rashard right. Lawrence and a Lecky Foe too and give the older guys like Peters a few breaks or a guy who's a, you know, you can't expect Jordan Phillips to be on, on the field for every single defensive snap of the season at his size and weight. You're going to no. want to also get some athleticism on the field at times where, 
you know, you're talking about a nickel look, you'll only have two down defensive linemen probably, and using that flexibility of Isaiah Simmons to be able to make up for either some of that in coverage or even like how we uh, saw with the Cardinals. And this is even something going back to the Todd Bowles years. They recognized that Dinsby and Washington in that 2013 season were two of their best pass rushers and play disruptors. Being able to put Jordan Hicks back in some of the uh, run support and then allow Campbell to or Simmons and then being able to just bring guys from all sorts of different angles. That's where I'm much more higher, I think, on the Cardinals defense. The whole goal was to say, hey, can we make it average this year? It was good to be able to look at their talent level and say, hey, this may be more than an average defense if things can go their way. And that brings us to kind of the biggest question about the Cardinals, which is their cornerback spot. I think now you have Peterson, Kirkpatrick, and Murphy as your one, two, three, your two outside guys and the one nickel guy. I know Murphy can play safety or corner. Uh, He maybe is not exactly a pure safety. You'd want to keep him, obviously, at a cornerback role. Uh, Jalen Thompson could even play nickel corner, given the fact that he was kind of that hybrid guy coming out of college. Uh, I've got, and this is kind of interesting at least, I've got those three guys as the locks, and then of the guys who are after that, it really depends on what they're looking for as far as size or coverage ability because I'd love to see Chris Jones make the roster. The one complaint that I noticed from him, and this goes back to practice last year, was he's a guy who got flagged a lot because a lot of times he just would have tight coverage but wouldn't look back for the ball. He got away with a pass defense uh, that should have been probably interference in the Lions game on a critical third down play. Um, And then I think it comes down to if you're going to have Chris Jones be the cornerback four, I think they keep five corners this year and have a few extra guys um, end up being, uh, like I see Jace Whitaker, maybe you keep him on the team as a backup nickel, but I could see Whitaker and Lewis are on the practice squad this year, and then maybe whoever wins out between Ken Crawley or B.W. Webb or Kevin Peterson, uh, is it worth it keeping those guys who's a veteran knowing that, hey, if the veteran fails, then we can just simply cut him and bring up one of the guys like Whitaker or Lewis from the practice squad. I think that approach is a lot easier versus trying to have to keep one of those vested vets and put them on your squad. So I went with uh, Crawley, given some of the experience. He's played for eight teams or so, so maybe some of that isn't as good. If he's healthy, perhaps that will be the case, knowing that Webb was more of a nickel. Uh, but really, it's a very fluid situation after the first three corners, and this counts the fact that they only just added that third corner in Drake Patrick just a few days ago, Walter. Right. Yeah, I, I said, uh, you know, I like the first three. Um, it's pretty set in stone right now, assuming that Fitzpatrick's knee is okay and his health can hold up. Um, I like Chris Jones. I think that uh, being in the system and there every day for two years helps his cause. That's the other thing about, you know, the new guys are going to have to step in and learn the system. Um, For Kirkpatrick, it's natural because he played for Vance um, when Vance was in Cincy and, you know, he's a veteran. Uh, He'll, he'll pick up on that fast. Probably, you know, I had Webb and, Crawley on the practice squad just because I didn't think they'd be active on game days. And again, you could put veterans on the practice squad now. Um, so I had them keeping Jace Whitaker because I think he'll play special teams. Um, and everything I've heard about Whitaker, I mean, Pat P is raving about him. Um, and, you know, 
word like that gets out and it's gotten out a couple times, uh, other teams can be taken notice. Typically, if you, as you know, Cliff's not touting any of the undrafted rookies. <laughs> he doesn't want anyone to know um, what they're doing. But word has leaked out that, uh, that Whitaker is making quite a run at nickel corner. I think he's better suited to play nickel than Byron Murphy. So um, athletically, uh, I, I like Murphy on the boundary. But um, yeah, so I have those five. I have um, I have Jones at four and Whitaker at five. With with for right now, it's frustrating, Blake, and you, you know this. We're doing this blindly because we. It's too bad we don't have a preseason game so we can look at these guys. You know, we don't have really – we see drills from practice and stuff, but we can't see what's going on. But, I mean, Crowley impressed me. He's got he's got some good feet, and he can jump routes. And he's got a package that, that's attractive, and he, he could step up. He could even wind up being a starter. I don't know. But he's coming off a tough season, injury-riddled season. Um, Webb is a solid guy who doesn't get hurt. He's just not – you know, his, his coverage numbers are not good. Uh, and so I, I, you know, he, but Webb will tackle. Webb is a tackler. So, and, you know, now we have the two, two of the weakest tacklers at corner in the NFL, which scares, scares the hell out of me. But, uh, um, and hopefully they'll, they'll change that. And hopefully Pat P, Pat P made more of an effort down the stretch last year to, um, to tackle so you know like Brett Coleman says when Pat P buys in he can be elite and I think that he's buying in and I think he will play harder and I think Fitzpatrick will follow suit because he like you said he needs you know he's looking for a a nice sweet deal um, you know being a free agent for the first time so uh, let's get over to safety who do you have who do you have as yeah, safety was one of the tougher positions for here because I had a very hard time finding a fourth safety because I think it's obvious that you've got Buda Baker as obviously your starter at free safety, Jalen Thompson your starter at strong, and the way the Cardinals will use those guys, typically you'd view your free safety of being the guy who's on top in cover one who can run over and can rob routes. Buda played some of that in different times of the year, but he was more of the kind of roam around type of player who – in some cases, you'd almost even call him, like, not quite a nickel linebacker, but he was more of the guy who could blitz. You know, he got a sack of Garoppolo in the year, was able to make plays in the run. That's typically what you view of your strong safety is that guy who's in the box. And so instead, the Cardinals had him listed as free and Jalen as strong. I think what you're looking for, at least, is you'll kind of see them used interchangeably in some ways, depending on the play. But the Cardinals did mention that, uh, when we looked at DJ Swearinger last year, he just was not bought in at all to what the Cardinals were doing. Maybe it was uh, just career. Maybe it was, he just was not able to make tackles. He was not able to keep up with tight ends. I think that what you're probably seeing this year is going to be Jalen will be moved back as far as being that last line of defense because he's such a sure tackler. And maybe you end up using some of Buddha's speed where he actually is able to get a, some interceptions if you're able to, you know, depending on the situation. The biggest thing I thought was interesting was Kentrell Bryce is not really a guy who I see as being anything more than just a box safety. He doesn't have a whole lot of explosiveness. 
he would be kind of more of you may have to if a guy like Thompson goes down and Buddha has to play kind of that deep safety role you may have to adjust your defense a little bit to have Bryson or potentially play a lot more of your nickel packages and let Isaiah Simmons not quite be a safety role but knowing the fact that he can play safety that may be what you're looking for uh, Chris Banjo is the guy who I for sure had felt like would be there so it was weird to think about, but it's kind of a case where maybe you could argue the Cardinals could even go and skimp on the safety position, go into the season with only three safeties, knowing that you've got Simmons there as your nickel linebacker and kind of save yourself on a position. What wouldn't shock me, though, would be, and this is where Johnny keeps bringing up, he would love to see Tony Jefferson be brought back in to play that strong safety role for a one-year deal in place of Kentrell Bryce, kind of reassess his value on the market, give yourselves a veteran who, in case Thompson stumbles a bit or if someone like Chris Banjo ends up being you know, kind of a flash in the pan, that was what he had recommended. I don't know if they have that money at this part, even with the veteran minimum for... Drake or Patrick. I mean, you're, you're then talking about another guy on a veteran minimum deal amidst a team with the Ravens who just cut Earl Thomas and probably is going to bring back Jefferson, I could see, to that team. So weird to say it was I decided to keep Kentrell Bryce on my 53. It would not shock me if you instead moved that and said, hey, we're going to put Jace Whitaker there as our slot corner. We're not going to have any type of backup to our strong safety that's needed for Jalen because we've got Chris Banjo who could probably play that role, and we've got Isaiah Simmons who could play that role. And So I've got them with four safeties right now. Would not shock me at all if they move to three, and if Whitaker is that good, you might not be able to keep him on the practice squad. Mm-hmm. Um, I am of similar minds in certain ways, but not in others. Um, it was interesting because today I asked Brett, Coleman, you know, my concern about Buddha free safety is does he have the range and coverage? He said, forget about that. It's perfect for him. I said, why? He said, and I thought I knew it was coming, and boy, he delivered in spades. He said, Buddha Baker's the best, runs the alley better than any safety right now in the NFL. Meaning that he's the, and he said, he's the best safety at meeting the cutback running back in his tracks taking him down. He said, in, in today's NFL, you need that free safety to be that kind of a tackler. And the way that Joseph's defense is, is, is designed is meant to funnel everything towards the middle. So um, you put your best tackler in the middle there, it makes a lot of sense. And I, once I heard that, it was just like sort of like gears meshing. Um, because I did have my doubts about... I still do about Buddha playing deep coverage, although he really warmed up to it late in the year and he was breaking up passes deep. Um, so I think he's got it in him to do, do all of it. Um, Jalen Thompson also, um, you know, he's a player they're just so really sky high on. Um, and he's flexible. Like you said, they can move these guys around a little bit, which is great. I mean, um, Brett was talking about this, the play that, Thompson made really nearly got the picks, pick six off Russell Wilson, um, where he made the made the break on the ball just half a step too late. But um, he said he sees plays like that coming from Jalen once once his trigger gets a little quicker, um, and and the the fact that the kid is a really good tackler, um, he offers all sorts of um, you know um, strengths to the defense. I think they're so high on him. I don't, can't imagine them bringing 
Tony Jefferson in because you wouldn't bring Jefferson in to sit him on the bench. And um, Jalen Thompson, they're so high on, they're going to start him. They really believe they have an outstanding tandem in Thompson and in, in, um, and in Buddha. But the other thing is, is that the word out of camp is that Deontay Thompson has uh, had a great camp and he's one of the players that Kingsbury has been raving about second year players who've come in and just taken the bull by the horns. Um, he too offers all kinds of versatility, but um, you know, he's as Brent and I discussed today, he's got a, he had a heads up coming into the Cardinals because of how Vance Joseph um, uses a whole lot of Nick Saban principles and schemes. And so it was sort of a natural transition for Deontay to come in to uh, Joseph's defense. And now that he knows what he's doing, um, he's going to play nickel cover two safety high. And then at times he's going to be able to come down and play low. Um, so he got three safeties there that I think they're really, really excited about. I had the fourth one is Charles Washington simply because he's one of our two gunners and um, gunners are so important. He's one of the best gunners in the league on the special teams. Um, and um, I think he's a better gunner than, than Banjo. If Banjo were the better gunner, I think he'd make it. Um, but I think they need, they're looking, they're wondering who the other gunner is going to be on the opposite side of, of Washington. So, and I, when I heard that, I thought, Oh gosh, Washington's, you know, they, they recognize he's the best gunner on the team. So because I heard that and, and because I saw it with my own two eyes last year, Banjo played really well on special teams. So I, I know they'll want to try to keep him, if not on the roster, as you know, I think it's a good call on your part, but to um, keep um, when you talked about him, but to keep him at least on the practice squad so you can pull him up for games when you need him. But uh, yeah, so I had those four. That's a tough, that fourth safety spot is a tough decision. You nailed it pretty well because, um, you know, there's flexibility there, but there's also probably a special teams attachment. Um, and, you know, it could be they decide, well, we'll list Turner as a safety and keep him as a fourth safety um, and make him a gunner or keep him on special teams. So that, could, that spot could go in a lot of different directions. But I think from what I've heard, Charles Washington, the guy that I know they really like on special teams, might have the edge. Yeah, that one is such a rough spot because it does seem like Deontay Thompson – in his roster spot, not that it's in danger, but because you've got such a great safety tandem, because your issue is at corner, because you know you love Chris Banjo uh, being a guy who can make plays and be that special teamer, it makes it tough to be able to know, hey, should you put Deontay Thompson on that role, or is it a spot where you only carry three safeties partially because you have got flexibility with your number eight overall pick? It wouldn't shock me if the Cardinals try to put him onto the practice squad, but with Cliff talking about him, it, it is going to be interesting to see uh, how that roster shakeout goes because there's probably about five or so spots, and Deontay Thompson's is one of them, where I could see it going either way, like a 50-50 sort of flip, and 
Uh, he, he's interesting because he's had injury issues, even going back to Alabama, was not healthy enough for the combine. Um, he's kind of best described as a heat-seeking missile, where he's a good hitter. Um, he can still be a, a capable tackler. Um, but it was just interesting to be able to see as that was more of his role where he can cover, but it wasn't like he was a, you know, Buddha Baker speedster in coverage. I think the biggest question that came down was compared to Buddha and Jalen's athleticism, he's probably a step behind and we'll have to see how it works with the injuries. So it was a plus to hear that he's doing well out of camp. Um, those are the four guys Cliff Kingsbury talked about were all, interestingly enough, second-year players. The Cardinals are counting on them in a lot of different ways because, you know, if you don't have you've got uh three guys right now and this i think will be probably the outside of kyler and outside of whatever offensive improvements you see with hopkins or arnold or a healthy kirk if isabella or Keyshawn can get going to me the biggest story on the cardinals this year will be that secondary because you've got three guys in peterson kirkpatrick and baker who all are in contract years and the fact that the cardinals may have to try to they're going to pay long-term deals to Peterson and Baker. It's it's going to be very difficult to see. So um, a lot of Cardinals fans, I think, are looking in the three. Do you let Peterson walk and see if he, even if he has a great season, do you take the third-round comp pick a year later, try to see what you can do with Byron, draft another corner, maybe you sign a free agent with that money. Do you potentially let Buda Baker end up having to get going because he's a guy who I think has turned into maybe the second most valuable player on the team after Chandler Jones and his ability to cover Rome and make plays. And then with a Drake Kirkpatrick, he's a guy you're assuming will probably play one year in Arizona, and if he impresses, he's probably going to walk because you're not going to be able to pay him over the other two players who are much more part of your core team. The other thing that pops up then is the use of the franchise tag in short terms. What I've thought would be the case is, given his age, I think you would probably pay Buda Baker, you would tag Patrick Peterson and because I, I don't think you can afford to let him leave especially if this Cardinals team ends up being a playoff team or gets close but doesn't seal the deal I don't think you can let him walk you don't have any replacement ready on the roster I think you for sure at least have to franchise tag or do you go ahead kind of just suck it up pay both of those guys at least the big bucks even knowing that Peterson is 30 what are your thoughts at least on all of that Walter before we move on from the Cardinals secondary to the last portion of their roster at the special teams and practice squad um really good points um i don't think there's any chance they would cut deontay thompson because um he is uh you know with buddha being a free agent for one is knowing they could have him and jalen um for the next two years beyond is very appealing the problem is with these one-year guys like like banjo and Washington's on a one-year deal. I mean, when you're sacrificing your youth for one-year players, I mean, there's a chance they could sign those guys again for next year, but they're kind of transient players. I mean, they've been on several teams. I mean, you can find guys like that, but but what you can't find often is guys you can build a defense with for four years when you draft them. And, you know, the, the fact that Cliff would mention Deontay publicly says there's no way they're going to cut him because, you know, I mean, he's not going to put that out there unless they were trying to trade him, which they're not. Um, I don't think at this point they would be able to get much for him because he's, they probably get what they paid for him, maybe a fifth rounder, maybe a sixth rounder. Um, With Peterson, 
I like your idea. It depends so much on how he plays this year. Um, you know, if he's Pat Pete of old and the cards are threatening, and as Brett Coleman said today, when, you know, when, uh, when Peterson's buying in, he can be elite. And he, he has this theory, and I, I thought it was really well thought, thought out, was the same with Matthew. When they know they have a – that when they can whiff a winner, they quick to buy in. Um, but when they start whiffing, like, you know, mediocrity, um, they can – you know, their morale can take a shot. And we certainly saw that um, in BA's last two years, unfortunately. Um, so I like your idea very much of a one more year on a on a um, franchise tag if they can afford that, but I don't see how they can't they wouldn't prioritize bringing Buddha back, particularly if, as Brett Coleman said, and I think he's absolutely right, they try to funnel everything to Buddha because he's so good at those specific tasks of bringing guys down. He's He's the probably the best tackling safety in football right now, um, or certainly one of them. Um, and he he talk about heat seeking missiles. Um, and he puts everything he's got into it. I mean, look, the, you know, just ask Mike Tomlin and and Kyle Shanahan, um, who've said so on sidelines and on tape. Um, so, I I would put the priority if if, if it came between Baker and Peterson. I would use a first-round pick to draft a corner. I would re-sign Buddha because he's a core player and he's he's a lot to the morale of the team. He makes us tougher, and we need that. And like you said, he's he really jives with Chandler and the group. We need leaders like that. Um, and then we've got to sign next year a free agent corner. We have to, regardless. I think drafting one and signing a, a good one can get us a long way for next year. And I think your idea of tagging Peterson, if, if we can, um, if, if he's coming off a year where he deserves a tag, is a really good one. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see with Arizona because uh, uh, they've got kind of three spots that I've identified. I, if you... Look at, and if Jordan Phillips lives up to his potential that he has, if Zach Allen can play well, you already have Fotu and Lawrence. Even with Corey Peters getting up there in age, your hope is that you'll be able to find enough of a rotation and that there's solid players where you can excel at the linebacker spot, knowing that then your defensive line doesn't have to be the guys who have to go out there and get, you know, like, you know, like 15 sacks from just your defensive lineman, you can still rely on guys like Chandler or cleanup sacks for guys like Isaiah Simmons. So I don't know if you need to have then a total penetrator like the Cardinals who, if Simmons wasn't there, they would have definitely gone after Derek Brown because then at least right. if you're not able to get that cleanup guy, you're for sure at least trying to see if you can get a penetrator who's able to then get after the quarterback on the defensive right. line. Um, I think that he would – and. The biggest thing with last year is Hicks was one of the leaders in the NFL. I think he and Buddha were both top five in tackles. Right. It was both a compliment to their skill that you're able to then yeah. 
you know, Vance is able to shuffle guys to them, but it also shows Hassan Reddick was not up there because of the instincts he had. He was not in place. Buddha, in a lot of cases, when you've got a safety who's top five in tackles in the NFL, that means that someone's not doing their job up Correct. front. I don't think that's going to be the case anymore, and that will hopefully allow Buddha to make more plays either in coverage or being able to get on the line for blitzes, for tackles, for loss. Uh, so for me, what that kind of boils down to then is if you're the Cardinals, you have to figure out, are you going to aim for an edge rusher in the draft next year to pair knowing you're going to have to pay Chandler Jones likely after the end of the year is done? Are you going to draft a cornerback who's able to then be on the opposite side because you're for sure going to probably have to pay one. You'll get enough cap flexibility next year where you can sign a big free money cornerback and hopefully even maybe uh, either upgrade or be able to fill in for a guy like uh, the Drake Kirkpatrick and then have a guy who's locked up long-term next to Byron Murphy. Um, as far as Patrick Peterson, I think that's where you tag him knowing either you can then trade him for a guy who's maybe trade him for a second-round pick and then use a package to try to move up for a corner. Uh, to me, the big question I think comes down to are you going to have to use that first-rounder on a corner because Devon Kennard's here for a few years at least. Do you have to? Could you trade that pick for a uh, for a uh, guy who's about to be a free agent who's an edge rusher? You look at the Chiefs a few years ago with Frank Clark. They made a trade for him, essentially swapped with uh, the Seahawks and got a first-round uh, pick that they gave up for them. The other question, though, is when you're talking about Larry Fitzgerald coming back, I agree with you. I think he'll be back for one more year because he'll be able to cement his name in the history books as the number one guy in receptions if all goes according to plan this year. And next year he's able to hit 70 catches. You know, next year maybe he'll have, you know, 12 catches for, you know, 40 yards or something like that in the final game of his career, whatever it would take to get there. But I am just have questions and concerns about with Christian Kirk. He didn't have a touchdown until the, he had the three touchdowns against the Bucks, and really didn't do as much the rest of the year. Injuries were obviously an issue. So unless an Isabella or a Shorefield or a Johnson seem to explode, you almost feel like you might have to find that explosive, deep type of weapon who can go across from DeAndre Hopkins to be able to draw safeties away from double coverage. You just need to surround Kyler with explosive types of weapons. And so my concern is, hey, you've got one kind of pick of need and three different spots that may need it. Your hope, I think, then is, and this is just my thought, is if you tag Peterson you punt the cornerback to maybe the 2022 season, suddenly you're now talking about how, hey, you could maybe trade that second-round pick, see if you can pick up that edge rusher, and then you add a first-round weapon for Kyler, who's on a cheap rookie deal. Suddenly you've got your heir apparent to uh, Fitzgerald, and you don't have to worry about Christian Kirk as far as his contract coming up in 2022. You can just move on to that next guy if he's not going to be this dominant you know, future kind of 1A, 1B type of wide receiver combo guy. Uh, so I think that's where I kind of boiled it down to, but it would not shock me at least if the Cardinals did decide to put an emphasis on Peterson um, for him long-term either. So it'll that to me is going to be the biggest storyline. Uh, let's wrap up at least with the last spot of the 53. You've got uh, obviously your kicker is Zane Gonzalez, your punter Andy Lee, and your long snapper Aaron Brewer. I don't think there's any, there's any dispute about those. Lee's getting up there in age, but I think you're more likely going to be finding maybe you move to a Ryan Brewer if he gets hurt. He's been in camp, has been a backup punter, or just look at free agency the next year. I don't see any changes that will happen. I think the big question, Walter, is who are some players at least you feel like if you had to pick four or five guys because uh, the Cardinals will probably add guys from other teams who get cut too, you'd think, with the practice squad. 
who are four or five guys you feel like would be a lock for the practice squad? Like, no matter what happens uh, with the roster, this guy, even if he doesn't make it, will for sure be on the practice squad. Well, a kicker, Zane, coming off his best season as a pro, really excited with him. I made a pitch recently for them to sign Matt McCrane to the past practice squad um, because of the pandemic. You need backups at every position and ones you can plug in and play now because, you know, if late in the week someone gets sick or whatever, um, you know, you need a guy there. I love Matt McCrane. I think he's one of the most accurate kickers I've ever seen. And I think he'd be a great guy to have on the practice squad. I think he's deserving of one of the 32 kicking jobs in the NFL. And eventually he'll get his spot. But if he's still still out there, I'd grab him. Um, Brewers a snapper. I don't know who they have in terms of backup snappers, but they better have somebody in mind. Um, I think that the Lee Winslow camp battle is probably closer than people realize or think. Um, because Winslow's got the better leg now. Lee really sort of faltered down the stretch last year, if you recall. Um, and I don't know if he's, you know, that's the sign of wear and tear now. You would only expect it. I mean, the guy's been around for so long and he's been so good. And he's really, you know, he's a pro's pro. So I'm not necessarily suggesting they move on from Lee, but I think it's closer than you think. I mean, Winslow's numbers when he was in there were outstanding. Um, you know, like he was averaging in the high 40s. And good hang times, too. Um, so I think Winslow's a better player than people realize. I do also think he's a puncher who could get claimed if they're weighing, if, you know, if teams are doing what I think they're going to do with 16 members on a, on a practice squad, I think kickers and punters are going to get, get signed in vogue come cuts after the cuts. Um, people are going to sign them to practice squads to have backups ready. I mean, Winslow, I, he tried kicking in a couple of games when he had in preseason games. It didn't look like he had much of a touch for field goals. So I, I wouldn't trust in that as, you know, if he was a combo puncher or kicker, but because um, I don't think he can, I don't know, maybe he's better. Maybe he's practiced. I, I do trust him as a punter, but not as a kicker which is why kicking so important. And I would get somebody you like and who's good. So, um, yeah. And then the core guy like Charles Washington, he's one of the gunners. If he's their number one gunner, he makes the team. There's no question. It's such an important position. Um, for those of you who don't know the terminology, the gunners are the outside guys who usually get double teamed. You got to have those guys have to win those battles to get down to put pressure on, on the punt returner and Washington's one of the best in the league. Um, the other gunner on the other side used to be Buddha who was awesome, but it's not going to be Buddha, but there are other guys contending for that. And, uh, but the core is Gardeck. Um, he's probably pro bowl worldly worthy. Um, you know, the guy runs a four, Four four, Gardeck or late four fours four five. 
I mean, he's got wheels. He is, and he's a big guy. I mean, thick. Um, you know, um, he 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 packs a punch. Um, yeah. So, you know, those are the guys that stand out. I mean, you called Zeke Turner. I like Zeke. I'm disappointed in the penalties last year. Just too many of them. Can't have that on special teams. But he he does stick his nose in there. He's a physical player, so he might be one of them. Baio might be one of them. Um, Sherfield for sure. I'd be shocked because he's one of the three amigos, right, Blake? Isn't he one of the three amigos they talk about all the time? Like Larry Kitchell said, you know these guys are amazing. Those they're always working out together. They're so they're like me. They're like. Constantly working out. It's Christian Kirk, Chase Edmonds, and Trent Sherfield. Isn't that correct? Yep, those are the three. I know that there are also some gaming that they do at least together. At least I know Chase Edmonds has done some of that. And uh, there's been uh, a real bond between each of those three. What's interesting is how they've all played vital and core roles for the most part, but only Kirk has been the one who's seen essentially starting time. Uh, to the bulk of the extent it's been, and a lot of people have felt like, you know, if the Cardinals had done a better job in 2018 of being able to not just have to go out and sign two guys who just couldn't, <laughs> you can say like the, uh, I think it's a, uh, uh, it's called like the, when you're talking about like, you know, I think can't play dead in a Western, I think is where it was. That was <laughs> what they had with Bryce Butler oh, yeah. and uh, the Greg Little back in 2018. And Christian Kirk became a starter because they're like, we don't have anyone else. And, that was part of where since then I think that each of those players have kind of showed that they'll be in the league a long time, not just because of their work ethic, but because they each have a specific skill set they bring. Sherfield, it's his ability as a gunner and a player who can, you know, be able to go deep and be able to make a, a solid catch, at least as being a Jerron Brown outside type receiver. He's never going to be your wide receiver three, but he'll always be a wide receiver four or five on your roster. Chase is the same as far as his ability to cut and get skinny inside. You look at all of those touchdowns against the Giants, and essentially he was able to just follow his blocks, hit the hole hard, and be able to scamper to the end zone. And Christian Kirk with his ability as a punt returner and being able to have some deep separation, even though the intermediate routes are obviously his best uh, his best arena. All three of those guys are players you need to be able to hit on, whether it's in day two of the draft, whether it's, you know, day three of the draft from a small school and whether it's from an undrafted free agent, those are the three different <laughs> uh, areas that the Cardinals have found where you get to build a team around players like that. Obviously, more stars is better, but that's how you flush out a team because you need to find those guys who play and have depth. And for all three of them, I think that they'll be big-time contributors on special teams. I think the question overall is, will the Cardinals be able to get into being one of the best special teams units in the league, or will they be uh, consistently average and you're then hoping on, you know, some great seasons from a Zane Gonzalez, um, from at least a guy like Dennis Gardeck. It'll be interesting, but they at least are no longer the embarrassment that they were uh, under Amos Jones for so many years. And I think that at least is the biggest plus of then if you're not losing games based on special teams, if you can win games because of your special teams, that's a transition that will really help the Cardinals be able to, close the gap and turn from a team that can, you know, they, they probably should have been around what we thought was 
we guessed they'd be about a six to seven win team last year. We felt that they just were not deep enough to get to that spot. Your hope this year is that they can be a team that certainly can at least press for double digit wins. And if you're going to be in that spot, you'll have to win close games. And that's where special teams counts. Right. Well said. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I think our special teams can be good. I think the the one really unknown is the, you know, if, if, if Eno can do the kickoffs and, um, and I know Chase Edmonds, they're working him back there too. And Kirk can jump back in at punt returner. I mean, right now those, those two spots kind of unknown. Um, and if those guys are pretty good, so our return games, I, I think of all our special teams, our returns have not been all that special. I think our coverage is much better. Our kicking and punting is much better. Um, so that part of the game, and but the returns, um, blocking, a lot of holding on the blocking on returns and kickoffs, really got to clean a lot of that stuff up. And we got to find a breaker, you know, someone who can, you know, um, break one like David Johnson did back at Social Soldier Field as a rookie. Boy, do you remember that? That was, oh my God, that was a work of art. Just caught the caught the the ball at the end zone and just took off like on a rocket. Um, so we need that that part of the game. Just if that part comes along with the others and Gonzalez remains consistent, and um, you know. Lee or Winslow remains consistent, then we could be right up there. Uh, that will wrap up our time, at least for everything today. Walter, thank you again so much for coming on to the podcast. I know it's uh, always long whenever we go and talk about the uh, breaking down the 53-man roster, whenever we talk about breaking down um, just where the Cardinals are. It's a exciting time for the team because last year was much more obviously about growing pains. This year you're mostly hoping for more of the going pains, which would be you got to say goodbye to a player or two that you'd love to keep on your 53 that either has to right. hit the practice squad or go elsewhere. Uh, we'll see what goes on. There's a lot that's riding right now, obviously, on this Cardinals offense taking a huge leap with the addition of uh, Hopkins and being able to cement some of that protection for Kyler to be able to allow for more of that incredible deep accuracy. And on the defensive side, there's nowhere really to go but up. Yeah. Unfortunately, for where it was last year. But you still need to be able to see at least enough improvement where the team can hopefully make a quick turnaround. And the idea of advance was truly hampered last year. And by bringing back a lot of the guys who were injured, bringing in veterans versus rookies, and then adding in a chess piece like Isaiah Simmons who can play just about anywhere. Uh, that's at least the hope that people have for a special Cardinal season. Uh, do you have any kind of final parting prediction that you'd have at least for the Cardinals, whether it's a win total or expectations, which is difficult to know amidst a pandemic where, you know, you could even have a false positive that happens. A player sits out a game, you lose a must win. It's very much a question that many have had is if they'll finish the season or not, especially after all sorts of issues that the MLB has had of canceling games and the like, what would be your kind of general feeling of the team? And without buying too much into necessarily that whole training camp hype of every team is looking great in this off season. Yeah. Right. Cause nobody can see them. Um, yeah. I'm very opt optimistic, especially with the expanded playoffs. Now um, I think we'll have a legitimate chance at those playoffs. Um 
you know, I, I like our chances. When you think of it, Blake, last year, we were in so many close games that, you know, if we could just get our defense off the field, they could just get out of third downs. I mean, it was just unbelievable how bad they were in third downs. But now when you look at the additions that Steve Kime and he vowed he was going to change things, and as Brett Coleman pointed out so well in his uh, Worst of First video, we now have guys in the right spots. So that's a huge going in. That's a huge difference. And with that and some of the momentum they got a little bit late, chances are our defense can be pretty good this year. Not, you know, one, maybe even top half of the league if they've got the talent for that. And if that's the case, I mean, the offense with Kyler Murray, I mean, I, I think he's a top 10 quarterback already. Um, I just think he's so dynamic and he presents so such unique problems for defenses that, uh, you know, he's a game changer and he's such a focused and, you know, um, driven young man. I mean, the fact that he put on the weight, um, muscle weight, you know, he is, and he said it himself, he's like the perfect guy in a pandemic because he's home doing football stuff all the time. It doesn't phase him in the least. Um, and that's how focused he is. So, but, but I think it's going to be very exciting. I don't want to put too much expectation so early, but hey, who would have thought, you know, Mahomes in his second year and Jackson and his would be league MVPs. You just don't know. And it's sort of the flavor of the, of the league right now. It's, it's out there for the taking if, if things go our way. And, um, you know, I just like what they're doing. Just the fact that we're talking about three amigos who work their tails off. And I think the culture is changing. I think the guys are, are buying in. I think that's why all of them are there. Um, we had one, you know, opt out and it was a veteran um who understandably you know had issues and wanted to stay home so and he wasn't guaranteed to start anyway um so yeah how about you are you you feel similarly are you cautiously optimistic or what are you feeling yeah i think after breaking down and seeing the defense um where what it can be to what it should. Last year, the complaint that I had was I wanted to see Vance just, instead of trying to protect some of the young players, just to go out and play defense how he wanted to and then just live and die with it. Maybe that was a little bit optimistic, but that was what I felt like I wanted him to do. Looking back on it now, if we at least accept that he had no choice but to play Terrell Suggs and, you know, for all the good the Cardinals can do, sometimes they can be dedicated to trying to get their contracts worth out of some free agents. Sure. Uh, which we did see at least with uh, Robert Alford. Instead of cutting him this year, they brought him back for another year and had to adapt and adjust when he went down versus moving on and locking up another guy ahead of time. So right. I think the same was said with Terrell Suggs. They kept him a little bit longer in the tooth and a long, at long in the tooth that he was, and a longer than they should have. And once things changed around, you got to see at least with Vance's defense about how much of an improvement. It truly was. I think it makes it where if you can say, hey, we wanted an average defense for the Cardinals this year, maybe you can at least hope for an above average. Obviously, the big thing will depend on Simmons. Maybe you're talking about in two years from now, the Cardinals defense, if Peterson is back, will 
as some of the other guys will end up being a complete wrecking ball. Uh, will they take another year to kind of adjust? Or maybe they come out of the gates. But I think I've gone from looking at saying, hey, maybe you could be kind of a team that wins between 8 to 10 games. I think it comes down, if you can take advantage of a Rams team that is essentially def- notably worse on defense and really just rebooting on offense without a great offensive line and with a bunch of rookies at skill positions after Cup and Woods, with Jared Goff being a guy who really needs kind of a perfect environment, you take advantage of a Seahawks team that went out and traded for Jamal Adams and is still pushing, uh, but really is not quite uh, there on the defensive side as far as any type of a pass rush. And a Niners team that will probably have, let's be honest, some Super Bowl hangover is struggling to find any healthy wide receivers and lost a veteran uh, defensive lineman in Brenton Buckner. If the Cardinals can take advantage and be a team that has the goal of being double-digit wins, maybe you could talk about a surprise, maybe not obviously winner, but at least a contender in the NFC West. That, I think, would be the goal at least. And so it's it's good to be able to have everyone be more positive. Obviously, there's still a few gaps I see on this team, notably at a wide receiver after Hopkins, notably at cornerback after, or if Patrick Peterson doesn't play well this year, and some of the defensive line is young outside of Corey Peters and unproven. But there's enough at least of a fully-fledged team that I think that they're going to be able to take advantage of a lot of the chaos of this season and be able to go out and put out an effort that would make Cardinals fans proud. Because last year, obviously, On the offensive side, there was understanding for the rookie, but it was a train wreck of a defense, and that caused, I think, a lot of embarrassment for Cardinals fans across the league. I don't think it'll be an embarrassment this year, and that at least makes me content. I'm happy to hear that, Blake, and you do a great job, you and Johnny. I always enjoy your podcasts, and um, keep on rolling, man. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining as well, Walter. And that will wrap it up for us on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. You can find us as well wherever you listen to Apple Podcasts, uh, on Spotify, uh, places like even Himalaya, iHeartRadio as well. As, uh, you can even look for us at least in TuneIn Radio. All anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you'll be able to find us. You can also find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Uh, my co-host, uh, John, is at Johnny Touchdown on Twitter. You can find our work at Revenge of the Birds. And, Walter, why don't you go ahead and plug your content as well as your Twitter account as well for Cardinals fans to give you a follow, especially after uh, we had uh, uh, essentially an entire national news cycle came up from uh, some of your content on Revenge of the Birds. Yeah, you can contact me through the agent of DeAndre Hopkins. No, only kidding. Um, I'm at W at WBJ Mitch on Twitter and please join me there. Um, we get some good things going there. Thanks to all of you for uh, making the ROTV such a great site. Um, learning something new every day from you guys and uh, you're great fans and you're great to be a part of. Just want to thank everybody and Seth Cox, especially our captain and all the writers there um, who I really take great pride in. Um, John Buckley, Robert Van, Andy Kwan. Um, we're, we're very lucky to have Blake and Johnny. We have a really nice staff. So um, give us your suggestions. We're always up for them. And uh, keep being in the Red Sea. We need you. It's going to be a great year. Absolutely. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Catch you on the other side. we got only a few weeks left until Cardinals and NFL football is back in action.